Welcome to the Arms Race. This is the podcast where we attempt to determine which action star had the highest body count in movie history, currently by watching every Sylvester Stallone movie one at a time. I'm Kevin Keen. And I'm Mike Olson, and today we'll be discussing Assassins, released by Warner Brothers on October 6, 1995, starring Sylvester Stallone, Antonio Banderas, Julianne Moore, Antoli Davidoff, Muse Watson, and Steve Cahan. Written by Andy Wachowski and Larry Wachowski and Brian Helgeland. Directed by Richard Donner. Of course, worth pointing out, Andy and Larry Wachowski, now Lana and Lily Wachowski. I believe, just to be sure. I believe that is correct. People may get upset at us if we don't use their well, current names. Well, that's, that's just the way was, it is. Yeah, I, I mean, the credits actually in the movie, I mean, it's 1995, so I think this is the appropriate way to, yeah, to credit it. We always credit them as they're credited in the movie, so yeah. just wanted to get that out of the way, just... I mean, get it if, up front. If it was in the credits as Larry Fishburne, we would put it up as Larry Fishburne. And we have. Yes. Even uh, though he goes as Lawrence. Yeah. So, yeah. Assassins. I picked this, and I had relatively fond memories of it. I didn't remember it at all, other than the fact that it had Antonio Banderas. And I remembered somebody wanted to be number one. That's what I remembered most about this movie. Oh, had you seen this before? I thought you hadn't seen it. I Well, I mean, maybe it's the trailers. I remembered the number one. Okay. And I, don't, I watched the trailer. It wasn't in there. So maybe I had seen it, and I just didn't re- remember it. Yeah, it's a big part. Is Antonio Banderas is the number two assassin. <laughs> number one. I, I don't know how official any of these rankings are. <laughs> Thank you. Let's I mean, just get it out of the way. It's, <laughs> get, get all this stuff out of the way. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know about this movie. I, I 16-year-old me enjoyed it. I remember that. And as I said, the only thing I remembered about it uh, was the scene in the taxi. And I think there's a reason why that's the only thing I remembered, because... I did not find this movie all that memorable. I mean, I watched it about a week ago. And I'm a little worried about this episode because <laughs> I like can barely remember what happened in this movie. It's like already gone. Yeah, uh, unmemorable is probably a good way to describe it. I certainly, if I had seen it before, I did not remember Julianne Moore was in this at all. No, this is before she was famous. I mean, she was a successful actress at this point. But I mean, this is even before like The Lost World, right? Oh, yeah. It's before The Lost World, before Boogie Nights, because I think those both might actually be 1997, or Lost World yes, might be 98. That sounds right. She had been in The Fugitive in a small part that was like... Oh, I she, forgot about that. She originally had a larger was part. Was she like and, a doctor or something? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. That was like, what, 94? So it a year before this? Maybe two years before this? Yeah, I think it was 94, because uh, Tommy Lee Jones won Best Supporting Actor, and I think... No, maybe it was 93, because I think he beat... I know you don't care about the Oscar, but I think he beat Ray Fiennes for Schindler's List, which... I'm not sure about that choice. I, I like Tommy Lee Jones. I like The Fugitive. Sure. I'm not sure about that. Okay. I didn't know that, but uh, I didn't realize he won an Oscar for that part. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of amazing. Deputy Gerard. Uh, but yeah, Julianne Moore, in The Fugitive, she had a relatively large role that was cut way down. Like, she's not coming. been a break. Yeah, like a breakout and just didn't. Yeah, it was a thing where she was like an up and coming star for like a long time. Like, she's about to break. And then I think really Boogie Nights was yeah. probably the thing that did it. Yeah. Yeah. Other than, and the thing is, is that. Like Richard Donner? I didn't realize he directed this. No, I didn't remember that either. Not at all. And Wachowski's like, you know, yeah. I know you're a much bigger Matrix fan than me. Yeah, that, they haven't aged as well. I think I'd still enjoy the first one and okay. parts of the second. I hated the third one when it came out. So well, Of course, I, everybody did. I, yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, We've discussed it. I mean, literally the one interesting thing about the world you've created. And let's do everything we can to not have it take place yeah. there. What is it, like 15 minutes of that movie are set in the Matrix? Yes. Whatever it is. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Wachowskis, but I am a big fan of Richard Donner. 
Yeah, uh, what what else other than the lethal weapons? Lethal weapons, all of the all four of them. You don't like, like all four though, do you? No, I'm not even that big a fan of any of them. I like them, but I'm not like a super I, fan of them. I really I really enjoy two. Of, of all of them, that's probably my favorite. Sure. And four has its like none of them are bad, although I don't remember anything about three. I may have never seen three. Because I don't remember anything about it. But three I, is not the Jet Li one, right? No, four is the Jet Li yeah. one. I remember a lot about four. Four is I don't not, remember three either. That's the first one with the uh, Joe Pesci. No, he's he's in is the he second into? one, just not as as much. I think three. He's they they decided. Woo, people liked the comedic relief, so let's give him an expand a really large right. part in the third. So that's one. the one where he's got the blonde hair. Okay, yes. I, yeah. I probably have seen it, but anyway, no, Richard Donner. I mean, the Lethal, Lethal Weapon movie is fine, but no, he directed Superman. Oh, that's right. That, that's all I needed to hear. He directed the better parts of Superman 2 before he was replaced, unceremoniously. <laughs> he directed The Goonies. Hey, you guys. And he directed Maverick, which, oh, as you know, right, is man. one of my favorite movies. Yes, that's right. No, and I, I really enjoy Maverick, too. That, that's one that I think is underrated, and you and I are, are probably one of the only people in the world that try and push... I think there's more of a groundswell for Last Action Hero than there is Maverick. I had friends in college who would always quote Maverick. I think that's kind of where it began with me, is we were constantly quoting Maverick, and it was like the most obscure thing. Yeah, for but most it's people. a fun movie. It is a fun movie. I really like it. And Brian Helgeland went on the next movie he wrote after this was L.A. Confidential. Oh, I didn't realize that. Really? So he must have co-wrote that with Curtis Hansen because I think Hansen... I don't know if Curtis Hansen co-wrote it. I think really? it was purely okay. written by Brian Hengel and directed wow. by Curtis Hansen. Well, then I will, I'm going I'm to give him a lot of credit right now because that is an extremely difficult book to try and uh, condense down into a you know, two-plus-hour movie. It's a great job. He, a lot had to change, but I think that that is one of the best adaptations of a very dense and complex story. Yeah. LA Confidential is a great adaptation, so it's, hats off. You've come a long way since filling in for the Wachowskis on uh, on Assassins. Yeah, well, he co- he rewrote their scripts. I mean, we can get into that stuff later, but I mean, I think behind the scenes, this is just a murderer's row. You've got Richard Donner, who at this point was on the slide down, but I mean, he was still a, a big name, solid director. Brian Helgeland, who was young and coming up, but he's a, a screenwriter I'm familiar with, and he went on. He, he's become a director. He directed. He wrote and directed Payback with oh, Mel Gibson, nice yeah, uh, which is a movie that I think is underrated, especially the director's cut, which is very good. I don't know if you've seen no, that. No, I haven't seen either one. I highly recommend uh, director's cut of Payback. Um, and then he, he's, he's still directing. He did, uh, I think, that 42, the Jackie Robinson movie. I think he that I have that. seen. I didn't realize he, he uh, directed that. Yeah. I have seen 42. He writes and directs a bunch of stuff now, and obviously the Wachowskis went on to become giant yeah. stars in their own right with The Matrix and, you know, well, I don't know, Jupiter Rising or that stuff I'm not so sure about. But, you know, behind the scenes, this is there's so much talent here. And I just, maybe it's because they all had to have their little say, but I don't know how this thing comes off so bland in, in a lot of ways. And some, some individual scenes are really yeah. good, but I don't know, it's, it's structured weird assassins and it's just like, I, I don't know it, what it is about this movie, but just nothing sticks. No, and maybe it's the... The, you know, the multiple writers, but it also, it's hard. Like I, I wouldn't know what genre if, if blockbuster still existed or in the night in 1995 when it did, and it was a powerhouse, is this an action movie? I mean, that's, that's the closest, but there's a lot of thriller aspects to it. It kind of isn't picking a lane in some ways. Yeah. 
I mean, they would put it in action because Sylvester Stallone yeah. is the star of the movie. Oh, Sylvester Stallone action. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they put Oscar in action. It's like, yeah, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone's in it. But it must be an action movie. But I, I yeah, I, I get your point on that. But I think you see mine is that I think that's also kind of it that it's, I'm well, not sure what it wants to be. I agree. And it's not much of a thriller because, and I'm, we'll get into the plot when we get there, but I don't really care about anything that's happening in this movie in terms of the <laughs> plot. You know, just like, oh, there's this disc and there's, you know, intercepted a transmission blah 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 i don't care i don't care about any of this and it's like like See, salon's character isn't particularly interesting like I, I just don't there's nothing here to make us care about anything no and so what's funny is you, you already brought it up so i just want to note it the the concept of intercepting information out there what immediately came to mind for me same year 1995 but far more interesting heat if you remember you've got uh tom noonan he, he tells uh, De Niro's character, no, there, all this information is just out there. I know how to grab it. Sure. What a difference in terms of action for sure and just story. That's a story. That's information being grabbed out from cyberspace. I'm interested in how that story goes. This one, don't care. Yeah, but that's, as I recall, more of a side plot to Heat. It's not like... It is. It's, it's, a, it's a plot device. It's not the plot. You know that's what I true. mean? Here's the plot. And I, I don't know. Like We'll get there, but uh, I guess we should start uh, yeah. getting into it. What day is it? What year? Well, it is October 6, 1995. On a $50 million budget, again, I think a lot of the budget went to Sylvester Stallone. I think I've noted that on a couple of movies. I saw on Wikipedia specifically that he got paid $15 million for this movie. Yeah, because I, I, this is another one. I'm like, where did $50 million go? There's, I mean, this one, not as much as some of the ones I've noted, but it seemed like a lot of money and not a lot of bang for the buck. It's location shooting and some like car chases a and little bit. stunts little and bit. things. There's enough. So domestic box office gross, just over $30 million. Ooh, I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, my yeah. recollection is that this is a relatively like well-regarded. Yeah. At the time, I thought this did okay. Now, so it uh, it opened number two in its uh, uh, opening weekend with just under ten million dollars in its opening weekend, and uh, it was number two behind David Fincher's Seven in its third week. Actually, Seven was still number one in the box office. Sure. Also opening that week, Dead Presidents, just under eight million bucks for Dead Presidents. Uh, Nicole Kidman vehicle to die for in its second week. I don't know if you've seen that. It's not a great movie. It's an okay movie. I know I've seen it, but that's another one. I just don't remember what. Yeah. She's a news reporter or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rounding out the top ten, How to Make an American Quilt. Never seen it. <laughs> never heard of that. I've heard of it, but never seen it. Hmm. The Big Green. Don't know what it is. Hmm. Uh, Denzel movie, Devil in a Blue Dress. I don't think I've seen that, but I, I do know it. No, I've never seen that. This is going to be another one for you. A Halloween movie is out. Can you tell me which one it is? 95. Uh, this has got to be six, right? Yes, it's Halloween six, The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> the six wasn't on here because I couldn't tell you it only is The Curse. <laughs> the Curse of Michael Myers. Okay, that's the sixth one. Maybe they never, didn't call it six. Can, can you give me a little, just a little synopsis? That's the one with Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd is in that? He plays the son of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who has really? died off screen at some point. I think so. No, 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 no. He plays, there's a kid in the first Halloween that she babysits, and he's like an eight-year-old kid, and then Paul Rudd plays the grown-up version of that kid. Okay. Because at this point, I think both Jamie Lee Curtis and her daughter have been killed off, <laughs> and this is the point where, like... The Halloween movies have gotten into weird curses and secret societies and, like, devil worship and stuff. <laughs> 
I seem to remember that being like it was so bad it's good territory, but uh, I don't remember much about it. Yeah, I don't have its total gross, but this is week number two for it. I don't know why you're still surprised that I know all of the Halloween and Friday know. the 13th movies. Nightmare on Elm Street I'm less familiar with, but it's like I grew up on all the movies. I've right. seen all of them. All right. Uh, number nine, referenced in our Stopper My Mom Will Shoot episode. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Okay, number nine, huh? Yes, and that is that's in week number five. Okay, uh, I was gonna so say that's pretty respectable. By the way, that Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, it's week number two, so it was not a well well yeah. received movie. Halloween, the first one came out in nineteen seventy eight. This is nineteen ninety five. Yes. This is time to move on. I mean, reboot it or or kill it. Halloween six. Uh, and rounding out the top ten, Showgirls with um, oh, was it Paul Verho? That was Paul Verho. Yes, it was directed. So I decided to pull up the 1995 top 10 rated R movies. Number one, seven. I was surprised by this. That, that grossed over $100 million. That does not feel like, and you know, $100 million in 1995 is a big difference. Yeah. That didn't feel like it was that much of a, a blockbuster. Oh, I, no, I, that seems right to me that it was a huge, okay. huge hit. All right. Die Hard with a Vengeance, <laughs> not Die Hard. Oh, no, that, this, is, this, this is the one. This is the one. This 95. is. <laughs> Die Hard 2 would have been like 90, 91. So yeah, that seems right. 95 would have 91, been 91, I think. I think Die Hard was. Yeah. Die or, Hard 2. Die Hard, 2, Die Hard 2, I'm sorry. Yeah, Die Hard of the Vengeance. How do you get four <laughs> gallons of water into a five-gallon jug? It's still one of my favorite stories with you and Chris. It's not even that interesting a story. It's just we got so distracted. We missed like a third of the movie because we were like, what? How do you do it? And we had to figure it out. It's totally worthless for the listeners, but knowing the two of you, that is very much... That would be... Um, uh, oh, God, we just watched The Muppets. And of course... Um, Hmm? Who? What are you trying to figure out? <sighs> Not Mortimer and Randolph. God. Uh, Waldorf and... Uh, Statler and Waldorf. Thank you. Statler and Waldorf. That, to me, is like if the two of them actually went into a movie. Sure. And started arguing about how to solve a riddle. <laughs> I love that the fact that you guys wasted like 20 minutes of the movie solving that riddle. Because the movie didn't do a good enough job explaining how the thing was solved. It's, they just hand wave it away. It's like, there's an actual answer to this. Tell us the answer. Uh, number three, Crimson Tide, which I, I can't remember. Is Crimson Tide one you like? Or yes, is that one? Okay. very much so. Yeah. I love Crimson I'm a, Tide. I'm a big fan of Crimson Tide. I kind of would like to cover Denzel Washington, sort, sort of like the Jack Ryan movies I want to do just because of yeah. Clear and Present Danger. Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington, that would probably be one of, one of my top five, maybe top three with Denzel Washington. Oh, I, I agree. It's really, really good. I, you know, I, I put it almost up there with Hunt for October as far as like oh, submarine movies. Absolutely. I don't think most people would agree. I think most people would be like, ah, Crimson Tide's fine, but Hunt for October is like an amazing classic movie. Oh, I, I, to be honest, I think I'd take Crimson Tide hands down, actually, from, for me. Well, I think they're pretty close, okay. but I mean, <laughs> they fight over the Silver Surfer. Yeah, I think that's a great <laughs> moment. And then there's a fire that breaks out shortly thereafter. I said Kirby Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer, and the Mobius Silver Surfer was shit. Anyway, <laughs> Vossler, he's a big Mobius fan. I'm sorry, sir. Just got out of hand. <laughs> All right, number four. I'm surprised by this one. Eight, almost $85 million for Dangerous Minds with... Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer. And really, the only thing I think anybody remembers from that movie is the Coolio. Coolio. Yeah, soundtrack. 100%. Uh, number five, this seems low to me. Braveheart, $75 million? That feels, felt low for some reason. That does seem low. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, number six, Get Shorty. I was never a big fan of that. That seems like it's a movie I should like, but not a big fan. I like it. It's not like, great, but it's fine. Uh, number seven, Outbreak with uh, Dustin Hoffman at all. I don't remember. Rene Russo, I think, is yes, in that. Yes, Rene Russo is in it. Uh, number eight. This one I'm very excited. Heat did make the top ten. I'm, I'm still a big fan. It's still too long of a movie, 
I'm still a big fan of Heat. That's better than I thought. I didn't think it did that well. Um, I thought it was like a, more of a cult thing that grew as time went on. Yeah. Number nine, Waiting to Exhale. I think that's Whitney Houston. Sounds right. And uh, number ten, Bad Boys, which I know you're uh, you're a fan of Bad Boys. Sure. I, I like the first one. I know you like the second one. I do not like the second, second one. one's better than the first one. I you gotta come around. I disagree. All right. 1995. <laughs> the sequel's built into the movie. The movie ends, and it's like, let's have another movie. We'll go to Cuba, and we'll have a whole different movie. <laughs> this is right in the wheelhouse of uh, TV for your, for you and me growing up. Number one show in America, ER, and it was on many many years after. This has got to be. Like the the cast that I remember, where you've got Clooney, Clooney you've got to have Anthony Edwards, William H Macy. This has to be just like the murderer's row of of that cast. I don't remember William H Macy being on ER. I never Absolutely. watched it. I, my mom watched it, so that meant I watched it generally. Absolutely, William H Macy. That was the first thing I ever saw William H Macy in. Yeah. Oh well, no, I take that back. I'd seen him in Fargo, and then I'm like, oh, it's that guy from that movie that I really, really dislike because I saw Fargo in theaters and I hated it. Okay. Oh, wait. Really? Yeah. I, I saw it when wow, it came out. Shocking. And hey, I obviously have completely changed my mind. As I And it didn't take me long. As soon as I got into college, I realized what I was wrong about. <laughs> okay, good. I was thinking about what... I almost missed you saying that Fargo... You didn't like Fargo because I, I was thinking back on where I'd seen William H. Macy first. You know what it is? It's in The Last Dragon, the 80s Never kung fu it. movie uh, starring... Is, or made by that, Barry Gordy. Is Bruce Lee in that? No. no it's, it's, the it's, it's a The character's name is Bruce Leroy. <laughs> It's a guy, yeah. Oh, it's great. It's a it's a really silly, fun '80s movie, and William H Macy has a tiny, tiny part. It's like, oh my god, it's William H Macy. Uh, Number two, uh, certainly a comedy near and dear to our heart. Seinfeld is the number two show. And man, this really is NBC's glory days. It has the top four in the Nielsen ratings. Seinfeld, Friends, Friends is next. Caroline in the City is number four. Monday Night Football. I, some of these times, I mean, 95, I watched so much TV as a kid. I do not know the show. The Single Guy. Don't know it. It's an NBC show. It vaguely rings a bell, but yeah, I don't know. Home Improvement, <clears throat> Boston Common, 60 Minutes, and NYPD Blue. Rounds out the top 10. All right. Uh, on the history front, not a lot. The S&P 500, importantly, is at 463.81. On October 3rd, this actually, there isn't a lot of history, but it's certainly stuff that I remembered. October 3rd, O.J. Simpson is found not guilty. Wow. On the, on the day that this is released? Uh, no, released? just, what is this, October 6th, I think? I thought it was the 3rd. Oh, you're right, the 6th. Yeah, October 6th. So, a so few the days Tuesday before. before. Yep. On October 9th, an Amtrak train is derailed by saboteurs near Palo Verde, Arizona. Saboteurs? Yeah, so I, they must have, today it would probably have been an act of terrorism is what it probably would have been labeled, but that's not what it was labeled back then. Hmm. October 15th, the Carolina Panthers in the world of sports win their first game ever against the New York Jets. Uh, on October 16th, the Million Man March is held in Washington, D.C. with uh, approximately or over 830,000 African-American men alone. This I, I skipped just to cheat a little bit, but uh, in that's mid-November. It's not even early November. November 14th, a partial government shutdown closes national parks and museums. It's amazing how the history just cycles through, right? It wasn't even at the end of the congressional year, just like November for some reason. Yeah, I well, guess it depends on when the budget comes up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, things don't change. The more they change, the more they stay, stay the same. Uh, the Horse Whisperer is the New York Times bestseller uh, by Nicholas Evans. I remember that only because of the movie that was made. <sighs> Might have been the next year. That's Robert Redford. I want to say, is that a young Scarlett Johansson? I don't have a clue. 
That I've, I've heard of it, but that's it. I didn't even know Robert Redford was in it. Uh, and the number one song, Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Oh, okay. That song a, I at least know. It's not a bad one. I remember yeah. the music video where she's on a roller coaster. Yes, I kind of remember that too. I was, it was, I definitely uh, had a thing for Mariah Carey in that video in particular. How could you not? Gen- generally, like, otherwise, like whatever, she was fine. But for some reason, that video it always caught my eye. Always, always, I can't even imagine what the coverage would be in terms of social media of like Mariah Carey. Oh, she'd be yeah. she'd be Lady Gaga. She would have yeah. won an Oscar like Lady yeah. Gaga did. Probably. <laughs> Maybe talking about how her and Bradley Cooper, are, you know, are singing. <laughs> All uh, right, well, let's let, hold on. Let's just think. Who, who would be Bradley Cooper back? Oh, in of the ni- of mid nineties. Who who would have written and directed yeah. a comedy or a musical uh, a remake remake yeah. starring himself? I don't know. I don't have a good I don't have a good idea on that one. Maybe uh, maybe it'll come to me. Anyway, so that was what happened. That was what was going on in October of nineteen October and a little bit of November of nineteen ninety five. For some reason, I'm imagining Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison Ford <laughs> would be so terrible. I don't know the song from A Star Is Born, so I can't like mock sing it in Harrison yeah. Ford style. But it's just like imagining him and Mariah Carey singing a duet. Oh man! All right, yeah. There's nobody equivalent. I don't know who it would be. So you ready? Uh, ready to move on to the plot? You know, it would be it would be Mel Gibson probably because he was a director and uh, actor and. I could see that. There's a pretty big age difference there, but I could st- I could see that. Not at the time. Oh yeah, Mel Gibson's got to be in his late sixties. Mariah Carey's only like in her late forties, so, early fifties. She's a lot younger than you think. Sure, but how old do you think uh, Bradley Cooper is? He's got to be in his mid forties. He's got to be exactly the age now that Mel Gibson was then. Yeah, but well, I don't know the difference. I don't know how old Lady Gaga is. <laughs> okay, it doesn't so, matter. It doesn't. Who cares? Let's move on. Let's actually talk about assassins. All right. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. Uh, so the big picture, the segment where we discuss the plot of the movie, yes. this one being Assassin. Yes, we chit-chat. Let's chit-chat about Assassins. <laughs> chit-chat, I haven't heard that one in a while. Uh, All right. So what is, I mean, the plot? I, I, I somewhat jokingly have in here, it's the, uh, the, the movie is determining who is number one. <laughs> it is. It's about Assassins. They, you know, Stallone plays a guy named Wrath. Robert Red, yeah, talk about on the nose, yeah, and Bane also, Miguel Bane. Could, uh, could you uh, could you get see the whole time? I wasn't thinking of how on the nose even Bane was. I could not get Thomas Hardy's Bane voice. I was waiting for <laughs> at some point for that to come into yeah. the picture, but it does not. I see you've returned to die with your city. I can't even really do it anymore. <laughs> I, it's been so long. Yes. That's what I was thinking every time I heard Miguel Bane. Uh, it's spelled B A I N, yeah. just to be clear. But yeah, it's all on the nose. His name is Wrath because he's wrathful. He's an assassin. And, uh, and Antonio Banderas is Bane because he's the Bane of Wrath's existence. And then we've got Electra. She does electronics. <laughs> Just every name. <laughs> the guy at the beginning, I don't think you, ever, you learn his name. Uh, I don't think it's ever said out loud. But the first guy, that, uh, that Stallone's first target, yeah. his name is Ketchum. No, it isn't Because really? Wrath has to catch him. You're kidding me. I swear to God, his name I is Ketchum. I did not look it up. That, then that really is all on the nose. That's his name in the credits. So uh, all the names are ridiculous. Yeah, but. so uh, effectively, it's in some ways, it's kind of like heat that you've got. Don't, no. Shut your mouth. No. I'm How just dare saying, you? Bite your I'm tongue. Ju- I'm just saying that you've got, right, the, you know, two opponents. They, you, they get a sit-down scene together. It's absurd that they're in a taxi cab. It's absurd in a way that I enjoy. That's the only good scene in the movie, and I can see why that's the only scene I remembered. I like it's that fun. scene, and that's about it. It's absurd, but it's fun. Yes, it's absurd in a way that I think works. It's it's a movie about hired contract assassins. You want it to be heightened. You want it to be a little absurd. I, I, I do anyway. I don't know. 
I had mentioned on uh, uh, um, oh god, what's the name of the movie? The stolen movie. It's set in New Orleans where he's a hitman. Bullet to the head. Bullet to the head. Thank yep. you. Uh, and I'd said I liked how that movie kind of depicted it as a little more grounded. Like this is pro- kind of the way how it probably really is. Yeah. Like the cops know who he is. He's not this ultimate assassin who disappears into the, as like, like a ghost into the mist. Yeah. But this movie, they are like that. They are assassins that you know work alone and no one knows who they are, and they you know they're all using assumed names and all this. It's like well, okay, if you're gonna go this comic book route, really go for it. And yeah, this movie is so muted and so. Everything is very serious, and you know we're showing it you know, the psychological themes. It's like no, just drive around and shoot each other. It's like have some fun. This movie is no fun. That it definitely is not. It's not a lot of fun. So, but I like the. I think the scene of the cab is fun. That's why I, I think that's the one scene that works. Yeah. Well, the the concept, the the overriding concept is that there is this infor- information that Electra. Has stolen and is trying to sell for a very, very low price. Well, wait, we can't skip the entire first half hour of this movie, which has nothing to do with that. Yes, you can, because it doesn't have anything to do with the plot actually moving forward. Well, that's exactly why I want to talk about it. Well, okay. What's the deal with this whole like short film at the beginning of the actual film? This movie is two hours and twelve minutes, and, and you it could, could be an hour and a half. Yeah, you could cut out that first. It's literally a half hour on the nose. Like I think. 30 minutes and one second is when you learn, he like gets the job of, oh, Electra, blah, blah, blah. I don't understand the structure of this movie. It's like, I wish this movie was more episodic. It was, it sh- In my opinion, this movie should, should have been two assassins that keep getting assigned to the same targets. And somebody gets there first. And somebody gets there first. Yeah. And it's like multiple, like three or four of these. Like, you know, every half hour there should be a different, and they keep bumping into each other and they have these encounters and, you know, each time they have a different sort of an encounter with each other. Maybe one time Wrath gets the upper hand and, the, and build it up. And then at the end, it's revealed, okay, here's why they're being sent after the same targets over and over, whatever. I kind of thought that's what it was going to be. It's, it, the first section feels so episodic. It feels like an episode of a TV show. And it's like, oh, this is just going to keep happening. But no, then the rest of the movie is Electra and all that. And I don't understand why it's structured this way. It just doesn't work at all. I don't have a good explanation for it other than maybe the the changeover has something to do with it in terms of the writing. Maybe one of the two sets of writers, whether it's the Wachowski brothers uh, or uh, I'm going to forget how to pronounce it. Brian. Brian Huckland. Yeah. Maybe the episodic was one set and then it's just like, no, I don't want to do that. We're going in a different direction. Well, I'll tell you, I I found and I read Wachowski's original script and this is all them. The structure is all them. Oh, okay. The details are Brian Huckland. I think think he made a lot better, to be honest with you. The scripts, I mean, I don't know. It's, It's hard to tell just from a script, but I... All the stuff I didn't like about this movie, it seems like we're the Wachowskis, to okay. be honest with you. All right. Well, I, I don't have a good explanation on that, but getting back to the plot, <laughs> okay. you, you do have, you have them squaring off, assassinating a guy in a graveyard, again, kind of on the nose, sure. <laughs> that goes nowhere other than it pits them against one another. You get the one interesting scene, and then, yeah, they get assigned to what the rest of the movie is going to be, and that's... Chasing each other around, one trying to protect Electra, the other trying to kill both of them, Electra and Robert Rath. Yeah, and Electra is played by Julianne Moore, and she's a surveillance expert who has intercepted some transmission that Rath's former partner, Nikolai? Nikolai, yes. Who we think was a, Rath killed him in a flashback, and he's actually alive. And Julianne Moore didn't know what she had, but actually 
the thing that she intercepted was evidence that that guy wasn't actually dead, and so he needs it back, and so he sends his two best men after her because it, he needed to send both. It's like, what a, that's not a good reason why... You know, there should have been a really interesting reason why both Wrath and Bane are going after the same targets over and over. It's just like, it, no, this guy just decided to hire them both every time because why not? Yeah, not especially a, the, the, the first, the episodic assassination... It really doesn't make any sense. Like, Electra, yeah. he, he does try and explain it away that she was, you know, such a great thief. So they do try and explain it away, but there's no explanation why they both needed to be at that graveyard. No, and it's, it's there's all this stuff with chess that doesn't go anywhere at all. <laughs> you want to save that conversation? Yeah, I want to save it. I'll, I'll have a lot to say about the chess stuff later. Uh, that is one thing, I'll, I'll just say it now, that is different in the Wachowski script. <laughs> I think the reason why the chess is there is a show that Wrath, he plays chess, and he's, he's his mastermind. And he's like Lucky Ray? <laughs> I guess. But he's, he's, he's thinking Ray. He's not, you know, chess isn't a game of luck. It's a game oh, it of is. It planning. Is skill and strategy. So he's like a, a big thinker. And Bane, who is Michael Bane in the script, I don't think they knew, you know, I don't know if they changed that when they cast Banderas to Miguel Bane. Yeah. But Michael Bane in the script is constantly playing Tetris. <laughs> And I think it's the show, the contrast of just like, he's living in the moment and he's, he's not thinking, he's just reacting and, and <laughs> wrath is a thinker and he's planning eight moves ahead. <clears throat> I kind of like that actually. I, uh, I don't know. Well, let me, let me see if you still like this. What do you think wrath says to Bane as he kills him? Oh, please tell me it's a delicious pun. No, but what would you say to a character who plays a lot of video games as you shoot him? Oh, he does not say game over. He 100% says game over in the <laughs> Wachowski on, script. so much fun. <laughs> I guess. I, I rolled my eyes pretty hard when I read I it, mean, but it's, it's like... It's roll eye fun. I mean, that's fun. That's uh, This is almost 10 years after Aliens when, uh, you know, Bill Paxton says game over. You can't say game over. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I think I would have laughed at that. It's not good, but it's fun. I guess it depends on the how it's carried off. Yeah. It's like, well, Arnold could have pulled that off. Stallone, well, that, I don't think. That's what I was just going to say. Off. If that was from Arnold, I, I, it would have got a big laugh on him. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the chess stuff, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, so some... they wind up basically chasing each other. I, I'm not sure where. I'm, ho- I'm hoping you can get the geography. I know where it was filmed. I, I had questions about this, too. I thought it was Columbia. I thought someone offhandedly said the bank was in Columbia. No, see, but that, well, that's what I'm not sure. But it's clear outside the hotel. One, it's, it's filmed in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, and the Puerto Rican flag is um, on the outside of that destroyed hotel. Uh, whatever the hotel name is, like right yeah. above it, has the has the Puerto Rican. So I, I'm like, is this Puerto Rico? And I have an issue with it if it is because I have one of my things. I'm like, they don't need passports to go to Puerto Rico because oh, they are yeah. American citizens. <laughs> so I really wanted some. That's one of my questions is to figure out where well, this bank actually is. Well, also, there's a scene uh, that revolves around the day of the dead which i don't think is a no. puerto rican tradition okay, that's, that's a mexican thing yes. for sure i was totally confused where this was supposed to be let's just say it's mexico i mean you'd need a passport to go there you would not need one for puerto rico yeah well i'm not even sure if you would in 1995 would have oh. needed a passport yes that's a foreign country absolutely i don't know things were different back then no there was definitely a time i don't know if it was 1995 i was reading this recently that there was definitely a time in the 20th century where you mm. could have traveled from the t- tip of Canada down to like Central America without a passport. Really? I, now thinking about it, you're right about Canada. I, it's post 9-11. So everything post 9-11, I've assumed yeah, we've become you know, the, the security state where yeah, oh. you may be right. It might have been even Mexico. You know where I read it? Because it was, it was a thing about how a lot more Americans now have passports than you know, 30, 40 years ago. And this was cited as one of the factors. It's like, well, now you need a passport just to get into Canada. So this is why... 
you know, 30 years ago, not a lot of Americans had yeah. passports because they could travel anywhere in North America without one. Yeah. And now they can't. And, and Mexico, you might have been able to. So here's what I I'm going to say. So. I'm going to go back full circle on one of my questions. What did they need passports for, even if it was Mexico in 1995? Did they need passports? See, I don't even remember the oh, details yeah. anymore. Because uh, oh, you're going to need a passport. Uh, Electra. Well, where to? I have eight different ones. Oh, right. That might have just been for identification, not necessarily. But, I don't but, know. No, but the, the point details. is that they, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we don't even know what country this is, so the specifics of this movie so, are, are lacking, to be sure. Yeah, so in the end, it's all been a big setup. Nikolai really wasn't dead. The, uh, but, okay, <laughs> we got to back up a little bit, because Electra intercepted this thing that proves, I mean, we learn at the end that the reason why it's so dangerous is because Nikolai doesn't want to know people to know he's alive. So he sends, Nikolai hires, he secretly is hiring Wrath and Bane. They don't know who he is. So Wrath is supposed to kill Julianne Moore's character, Electra. He can't do it. And then he decides, let's sell it back. Like, the whole scheme is, let's just take this information and sell it back to whoever this mysterious person yeah. is. And then there's a wire transfer, and that's where the, the movie ends at a bank yes. in, let's say, Mexico where Bane is going to kill Wrath, but Wrath kind of hangs out in the bank all day. <laughs> like This is the thing that's so unexciting about this movie. Is it's like, here's the climax. Wrath is sitting in a chair for nine hours. Yeah. You know, like this and, is the climax of the movie. And, it, and not only that, it's completely undermined. The tension is completely undermined because him sitting in the chair and walking out from that bank is the exact same way and same thing that Nikolai allegedly was killed by Wrath, right. you know, how many decade and a half ago. Stallone in the movie outlines to Julianne Moore's character, this is what's going to happen, so this is why I need you there. So it to- the tension, it's not there at all. You know, oh, he's just going to sit in the bank and it, nothing's going to happen until he comes out. Yeah. So whatever tension there would be, and actually there might be some if you didn't, but it's completely outlined for you. Here's what's going to happen. Yeah, it's not like we as the audience are going like, what's going to happen next? Because you're right. We, we know exactly we what's totally going to happen. We would know what's going to happen next. And, and that sequence takes forever. It's like they, It feels <laughs> like real time. <laughs> it really does. And Bane's sitting up there being like, where are you, buddy? It's like, uh, and also, okay, I mean, I guess the idea is there's no rear end, no way out other than this well, front it has door. To be, which seems absurd to me. But sure. Fine. It seems absolutely absurd, but it's like the whole thing is that Bane gets impatient and runs down there because it's like the bank's going to close and he hasn't come out yet. Maybe I missed him. Maybe he got it some other way. At this point, why why not just wait? You know, it's like <laughs> another if four he's, minutes. If he's gone, he's gone. What are you going to find in there? And yeah, he goes in there. And Wrath and Electra's plan is to wait until Bane gets impatient, walks into the bank, and then she's going to take his sniper rifle and shoot Bane with it. No, see, I don't think he's going to shoot him. I think she's just going to take it so that he can't take the shot and they just disappear. I thought she was supposed to shoot him. Doesn't doesn't he give her tips about how to, like, you know, use the gun or whatever? No, that's only what he gives her in case she needs the pistol. That's all that that's for. Okay. So I think what the plan was... Basically, wait for him to do what Wrath did 15 years earlier, abandon his post without his rifle, yeah. take the rifle, and then he doesn't have anything to use, and you just disappear, is what I think their plan was. They're not planning to kill him? No, I don't think so. Okay. And then he would be number one. I think this movie would have been... I'm not, <laughs> not that I think they would have ever made a sequel, because this movie didn't do well, but I think it would have been more fun if Bane is still alive at the end. Oh, like, I'll get you next time. They, uh, they end it that way, and then they decide not to end it that way. It's no, like, that's actually, that's probably the most annoying thing. And again, it didn't mm. do well enough that it would have been a sequel. But that would have made me more, it, it would have been more interesting for it to be ambiguous that, oh, no, there might be another show, you know, showdown between these two right. to determine who's 
the world's greatest or number one. That's actually what I really wanted is I so badly wanted Stallone to just say world's greatest. That's, that's the greatest in the entire <laughs> world, not just number one. Yeah. Uh, yeah world's cause... greatest assassin. <laughs> These are all Seinfeld references yes. for the uninitiated. Um, yeah, because they both, at the end, they both shoot Nikolai being like, oh, this guy was manipulating us. And I, I, there is a I, wink too. You got to get the wink from Bane. I didn't notice the wink. Oh yeah, because they they assume that he's dead down on the ground, and then Wrath you know makes eye contact with him, gives him gives him a little wink. So oh, I didn't I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. That's that's fun. Yeah, it actually, kind of was. I and but, I like the conversation between them where it's like, oh, I will retire, and you'll be number one. That, it's like you think that's, that's the end of the movie. That is probably the most disappointing thing is that one. I think Banderas steals all, any of the good stuff. I think is Banderas agreed. And the few times you actually do get them, I think the scene in the bank is a pretty good... The time you get with the two of them, I think both of them react and work well together, Stallone and Banderas. I agree. If this was more of an action comedy and you said episodic where they're constantly running into one another... Yeah, interacting more. Yeah, way more fun. Yeah. You You could have made this where this was a fun... It's almost kind of like, I say how Michael Mann took Miami Vice... And turning it into a serious movie, that movie should have been like a parody, you know, fun kind of action comedy. If you're going to make it, I didn't think it needed to be made. This is kind of the same thing. Donner turned it into this thriller or serious action movie. I think the chemistry that they had in those scenes, I think it's way, way more entertaining if it's an action comedy. Yeah. 100% 100% agree. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's Richard Donner's fault because I think the script was like that from the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, it just needed to be a little more lively and just, yeah. And, uh, Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone are great together, and that's the scene in the cab. It's my favorite stuff. Yeah, and you know what? You know what actually shows it is some of their stuff in. Is it Expendables three? Is that the one Banderas yes, is in? Yes. Like some of that, you you still see it even there because I think some of the scenes with the two of them and Banderas in particular, I think they're some of the best scenes in that movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, that's not a great movie. No, that's, but that's the worst uh, Expendables movie. But yeah, Antonio Banderas. Uh, certainly of the new additions, he's the best new addition oh, yeah. to the team. Unlike well, those young kids and Ronda Rousey and whatever the hell's going on in the movie. <laughs> We're going to get one more uh, team up of Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone. That, I don't is, know if, that is correct. Yeah, which I'm sure neither of us has seen, but Spy Kids 3D will be the last time to see them interact. Speaking of which, Game Over. That's is true, the, Game Over. <laughs> Maybe that's why that's what that happened. Or so Antonio Banderas is like, we never got to say we, Game we, Over. We didn't use it. They went to Robert Rodriguez and said, listen. All right, so uh, you, you good with the plot? You ready to move on technology? <laughs> I guess. I don't feel like we really described anything, but like I said at the beginning, it's like there's just nothing to talk about or no, nothing to grab on. that's onto. what the movie was. All right, let's move on. It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? What cloud? So this is the segment where we uh, try and do our best to outline how the uh, the plot or ending of a movie uh, or even just scenes would be different as technology has uh, progressed since, in this case, 1995. I actually had a couple on this. Did you uh, do you have anything? Not really. It's, it's interesting that you jumped right to the ending, how the ending would be different. Well, just in general. No, I don't have anything in the ending of this. Oh. But I thought you were setting something up. No, I'm not that, I'm not that good of a host. All I have is... <laughs> Well, I mean, you did say we do our best. So. Yeah. Now, I really, I have only obvious stuff. Taxi cabs. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have the same stuff. That's all right. Go ahead. Yeah. I think well, the whole premise, what makes that whole scene interesting is that you've got the plexiglass bulletproof shield so they can't shoot each other. And that's why they're 
able to have this long conversation. Is it all bulletproof, though? Because it looks to me like there's a hole in it, but whatever. It's it's probably a hole through, like, one layer. Because those things are, like, many, many layers of glass, right? Isn't that why they're It looks to me like there's a little opening where you can, like, pass something through. The whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I don't understand why. Okay. Well, whatever. I, I was watching this entire movie on my tablet because this was, I was house-sitting last weekend at okay. my folks. So I, I didn't get the full theater experience. So... You could could be right. Maybe I'm just not All seeing right. these details, but um, well, certainly uh, Wrath punches the thing and it creates a crack, so yeah. it can't be that strong. No, well, all right. So then, are you saying what I said, which is in the world of Uber and Lyft? Yeah, there's no way that there's the, no the bulletproof. Ta- well, and that the taxi tr- trick wouldn't work because he couldn't just go hijack a taxi because he would have no idea what type of transportation with all those options that exist. That Bane would choose. <laughs> oh, you don't know which he, he doesn't know which app he has. Is what yeah, you're saying? Exactly. He, <laughs> he could go to... taxi. He could go Uber. He could go Lyft. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's impossible to identify a Lyft driver just by looking at the car anyway. So yeah. it's like a cab. And we basically didn't talk about any of that stuff. Like Wrath steals a cab because he knows that Bane's trying to leave the city, and he just gets a call for a guy going to the airport, and he's like, "It must be him." <laughs> Right. So at least it, I can buy it more if if somehow he knew he had Uber and it's like he knows his Uber account. So like, yeah, or he, somehow he could hack into it. and A way to identify that this is specifically Bane and not yeah. just a guy going to the airport. Therefore, <laughs> it a, must be the guy who's running from yeah, I mean, the how, police. This city, how, how few people are going to the airport that he's just yeah. going to wait for a call of a person going to the airport? What's another city? I don't know what city that's supposed to be because it's... Pretty amb- uh, it's totally bland. Yeah, I think the script says it's Cleveland, but there's well, no can, indication. No, at because all. the police cars are Metro Police, and I really want to talk about those police, but we'll, okay. we'll save it for later. And the middle section is specifically in Seattle. Why is the beginning and the end so vague about where they're set? And then the middle section is like, this is definitely Seattle. Look at this monorail. monorail. For sure, monorail. It's the only monorail in the country. Yes. Uh, so, all right, the next one I had is that the dark web has come a long way in terms of payment sources. This whole concept and the setup, basically, actually, the ending setup wouldn't happen today. Because with cryptocurrency, that's it. It would totally negate the need to go to a bank sure. to get cash. And fill up bags of money. Yeah, let's, well, I need to talk about those bags of money, too, because that whole concept would not work. Okay, I'm sure we'll get to it soon. Uh, I got one other one. Do you have anything else? No, I, cabs and banks. Those are my two. All right. <laughs> so I think you've covered both of them already. All right. The third one that I noted was that floppy disks, one, are just quaint. The fact of reminding me that they existed. I did enjoy that. Nikolai whips out the floppy disk. Like, I have the floppy disk. <laughs> wow. Look at that. And I just said in today's day and age of you know file transfer sites, no such thing as a one. That floppy disk can't possibly hold the oh, amount I, of <laughs> data. I had, I had that same thought. Yeah. Like, she says it would take 200 years to decrypt. It's like it fits on a floppy disk, but it's that yes. encrypted that it takes 200 but years when to you, encrypt. But if you look at the file sizes, I think like one of what you see up on the screen, like one would have filled up a floppy disk. There's yeah. no way all of that information would have got out. Especially a, a three and a half. Right. Like I feel like five and a quarter is held more. I don't even remember anymore. It, but. it doesn't. Neither one of those would have the storage <laughs> no, capacity. It should have. It should have been the full five and a quarter, like literal floppy disk. You know, he waves <laughs> it around, like you know, makes that noise. Yes. I, I was doing a turkey noise. I don't know what I was. I, I wasn't. I wasn't able to adequately make the noise that a floppy disk used to make when you wiggled it. Yeah, and so just what I said though is that there'd be no need for any again an in person meeting because all this would just have been shared on some sheer file. Yeah, but a movie made today, you know, he would have still whipped out a flash drive. Like they would have still probably they still would have felt the need to show. Oh, like I physically have the data. It's like it's it's in the cloud as we play every episode. It's like it would have been in the cloud. 
and the thing is, is that somehow it had to, maybe not, it's not in the cloud, but she had to be able to grab it. So, I mean, at some point there's some data transfer that, so why couldn't she have transferred it a similar way to the way she stole it in the first place? Well, because her apartment is in the middle of three giant antenna, and that's how she stole it, I would assume. Oh, is, was that the explanation? I thought so. I missed that. They're right, very prominent. You. Every time they show her apartment, it's like, look at these giant antenna, these transmission towers. I think they're trying to tell us like that's the implication that she's jacked into these right. towers that's somehow, and that's how she's intercepting secret government transmissions or when, something. Yeah, when she's not busy installing smoke alarms. Yeah, well, secret hidden cameras. Yes. I, that's, that's something that I think could have been uh, used a little more for comedy. She's spying on her neighbors. They have a little bit of comedy with it, but it gets... I mean, it's really, it's a setup so that you can have the scene where you you see Bane down in the neighbor's apartment. That's the whole reason. Yeah, because somehow he thinks that the neighbors have the data. There's, there's like a million twists and turns in this movie that don't matter at all. Because that's one of them where, like, Wrath and Bane both attack at the hospital where the, the thing's going, the deal's going down. Sorry, I'm derailing, but it's like, sorry. Right. She escapes, get, gets back to her apartment wrath and bane both independently find different ways to find the apartment but bane makes one of them is absurd i'm gonna say right now <laughs> the dog <laughs> no or the mail oh bane makes like a letter or something he finds no, he uses a picture he get he has a picture with those the cell towers you're right a he guy does, who's uh, you, he right. must have been in seattle every day for like months to have memorized the city you're right that is absurd but then he finds a letter outside and mistakes the because Electra writes a letter to her neighbor and then Bane thinks the neighbor is Electra and kills her and no, thinks no, that she's no. dead. You, you know why? No, the way he he makes the conclusion of which apartment Electra is in is that he goes to all the cars finds the one the engine is still <laughs> That's warm, right. and then somehow I, I mean I, you've probably lived in more apartments than me somehow the I, I guess it could be the unit number, but I've always seen parking spaces are just numbers. It's not assigned to your unit, meaning it says 202, so he, he must have assumed it's the second floor unit 2. I guess. I didn't put that together. Yeah, and most of the time they just... I didn't put 202 just, together. Yeah, most of the time they just stripe them, like, like one through th- how many of our parking spaces there Right. Are. Your assigned space number 22 yeah. has no bearing on your apartment number at all. Right, exactly. But in, the, in this world, he feels an engine... Ooh, this one's warm, and I'm going up there. I feel like there was some kind of letter involved that helps him figure out the... This is the thing. All this is so convoluted, and none of it matters. All these details don't matter in the slightest, because in the end, Wrath and and Electra just run away, and that's the end of it. Bane could have easily just not have been there, and the plot would have been impacted not in the slightest. It wouldn't have mattered at all. So we don't have a Zeus of the movie, but that scene clearly is a Zeus, because it doesn't matter at all. Yeah, but nobody's commenting. No, no, we don't. We don't have a character like that. But there are num- a number of scenes in this movie that just are irrelevant. Yeah, if Nikolai hadn't shown up at the end, he could have been a candidate for the Zeus. Oh, absolutely. So just to explain, we have ever since we did Hercules in New York, there are sometimes characters that we who are just off in the distance commenting on the action, but not involved in the story. But and we, I don't think this movie has. We've, one. No, it doesn't. But we've also just for uh, listeners who may be picking up on this episode, we've also developed recently the Jupiter of the movie. I think the first one might have been Escape Plan 2. That's ill-defined. I don't want to complicate the Zeus. <laughs> okay. It's already... <laughs> Nobody knows what we're talking about anyway. We're just going to add nine layers of our inside jokes. I just... How I many, like, how many I like layers? The, I liked the fact that it's a character who is involved in many scenes, but impacts the outcome in no yeah. way, shape, or form. 
I feel like we need better terminology because it's so inside baseball All now. Right. Only people who have been listening for like two years know what we're talking about <laughs> at this point. All right, so uh, you, speaking of details, are you ready to move on to the little details? Uh, sure, let's move on to little details. That cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. Uh, so this is the segment of the show where we dive into the minutiae that we noticed in the movie and uh, I guess discuss it really more than anything else. Sure. Uh, most of mine are just gripes, like specific moments where I thought I was kind of annoyed. And I'll start off with my first one. The guy at the beginning, catch him, where Wrath, uh, you know, we don't learn any details, but it's just a show that Wrath's an assassin and he, he's killing this guy out in a swamp. Yep. He lets the guy kill himself, which was annoying on its own level for the body count purposes. <laughs> I, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Stallone credit for it. but that's Oh, really? Yes. We'll talk about it at the end of the episode. Right. But um, guy shoots himself, plops down in, in, the, in the swamp. And Wrath just leaves. He doesn't check to see if he's dead. If I'm going to be killed by an assassin, this would be my number one ploy. Just like, oh, let me let me shoot myself. Just let me give me the dignity. And then I just like, whoops, I missed. And then pretend like I'm dead. <laughs> check, make sure he's dead. You, you well, don't know, or maybe he could have. Th- here's the thing: people though. survive. Have shots to the head. Nikolai. There, see, yeah, there you go. It's a. Pr- it's. I'm not sure Wrath is really number one. I no. think this guy has been trading on the false pretenses. In terms of body count, he's certainly not number one. Oh, he's not even close. So you know, I Bane think- is a wrecking. I mean, a wrecking crew compared to Wrath. He certainly is. So, Wrath yeah. is all hat, no cattle compared to Miguel Bane. Yeah, and he's just moping around like he seems terrible. He's just not a good character, and he's not a good assassin. He's not a good anything. He's not a good chess player, apparently. Oh no. Uh, all right, so I, I actually the I wanted to highlight the fact that Richard Donner brought back the captain from the Lethal Weapon uh, movies. Oh, where was he? Uh, he's he's the grave. He's the billionaire in the uh, in the graveyard. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, of course, so, that's his cousin or something, or his brother. Uh, I think so. Yes, I think yeah. it's a second cousin or something like that. Because we spotted that guy in uh, Predator Two. Predator Two, right? And I had a I had an entire line of reason of. <laughs> The, the the career path. For <laughs> That's that right, because he kept officer. getting demoted or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah I forgot about that. So uh, now, so then he maybe he was a crooked cop and then went on to he he, he, be, he, be, he right he became a billionaire. He became a billionaire uh, criminal or something. Yes, he funded Contras. What was it? He had some kind of like elaborate backstory of like he funds this revolutionary blah blah blah. And it's like oh this is gonna be important. Boom, he's dead and the movie doesn't care. It doesn't matter anymore. They spend like a minute like news reports. This guy and here's all this detail about this guy. It didn't matter at all. Can we can we talk about? It? I, I might have that in the next segment i'm just gonna bring it up now all right i don't care how prominent it is I, I don't care if that's jeff bezos and i know times are even different and the media is more absurd today that reporter is next to the pallbearers <laughs> in a funeral no right. way i didn't think about no it way. i mean i know look the paparazzi has gotten progressively worse you know since 1995 and the early 90s there's no way a report. The, I mean, especially the, 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 the noted, right, <laughs> reputed billion, reclusive, reclusive billionaire, billionaire and he's she, the reporter's right next to them, yes. just standing on top of the the, the like, in, in the hole, super loud, talking into the microphone. Yeah, that's why I assumed it was so important. This is a it's like funeral. This, it's, it, I was like, this reporter is so front and center in all ways, both in the film and in the reality of this funeral. It's like, well, this must be important information because this movie is putting it right in our face. It doesn't matter at all. I didn't think about that. How close the reporter was to the, oh, ser- to the, to the it's absurd. Yeah, it really is. Uh, all right. So what, what do you got next? Okay. Another, this is a more of like a movie pet peeve. Generally it annoys me. And I think maybe I've talked about it. I forget on which episode, 
but split diopter shots where the focus, like half of the yep. shot is in focus. Yeah, we in the talked foreground. about this recently. Yeah, I remember what movie it was, but it's a pet peeve of mine. I just it annoys me every time. Could it have been bullet to the head? I don't think so. Okay, sorry. Just keep going. I'm sorry. I don't know what it would have been, but um, yeah, we definitely. I, I definitely have mentioned it recently that it's a pet peeve of mine. Every time I see it, it annoys me. And there's two moments. I think the first time is when Stallone and Julianne Moore are like up in the burned out hotel. Like, we're, here's what's going to happen, oh, yeah. and he explains everything. Yeah. He's in the foreground in perfect focus. She's way in the background in perfect focus. And you can see, like, the line where the focus shifts. Yep. It always bothers me. And I think when Bane and Wrath talk in the bank, there's another one where... Yes. Um, it just always is jarring to me, so I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah, that's fair. It, it, uh, it annoys me every time. The worst offender, I probably said this last time, the worst offender is in Reservoir Dogs. It's where the cop and uh, uh, Tim Roth... Tim Roth is on the ramp, yeah. and they're talking. Blink. Yep, it's the back of the cop's head. You can't—he's not even looking at the camera. And split diopter, the back of his head is in focus. Why do we need to see the per- in perfect clarity the back of this guy's head? We don't. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino uh, stopped doing that, luckily. Whereas I don't know Richard Donner for some reason kept doing it. Stayed in love, fell in love with it. Yeah, I don't know. All right, so I want to talk a little bit and highlight this Metro Police. We don't—you don't know. You said the script said Cleveland. This Metro Police Force. I, I got to talk about them. Okay. okay? So first. You have a, a murder scene of this billionaire. Yes. They do not detain any witnesses at that crime scene for questioning. <laughs> it's true. Not, not a one. Yeah, you're right. Well, I everyone's mean, running away. But it, I it's mean, chaos. The cops are also they're directing traffic because they hold up Stallone from leaving. <laughs> oh, you're right. They do let everyone leave. They're, oh, it's absolutely they do. Okay, so that's, that's, first, that's, that's a, the first that's one. That's a great point. Okay, then you've got in the front seat, it's a murder weapon. And it's a rifle. A cop is just playing with it like it's a toy. <laughs> yeah. It's a murder weapon. It, it, it is literally the murder weapon. They know for certain that this is the weapon yes, that killed it. Absolutely. Yeah, not, not worried about it. fingerprints or anything like that. I'm not done. They're I've not got bagging more. it. No, I've got more. <laughs> okay. This police force apparently has really underinvested in its uh, police cars because Bane can kick out from the inside a window yep. of a police car. I don't think that that is possible at all. And lucky for him, the cop who's driving needed to get the wind in his hair and had his, his window down. <laughs> That's the next one. Okay. He needed to have that wind in his hair because a cop is driving with the window open. Yeah. Talk about danger. Okay. And then uh, this one isn't actually on the police force. This is just uh, very much Tango and Cash. I think it's Tango and Cash. Dead police officers' feet stay firmly planted on the accelerator. That's my next pet peeve. Okay. <laughs> then I, I, I got it for you. Yep. Sorry. No, there's two instances of that. I think both cop cars that happens, right? Because well, he breaks the cop's neck, right? Is that what he does? Yeah. Around the window. Yes, around the window. His foot jams on the gas. That I forgot about that one. I'm thinking of the other the Yeah, other and car. then the second cop, after he gets shot by yes. a sniper rifle, both. And I think that guy, like, one of the two, I forget which one. The car co- uh, hits another car, comes to a stop, and then accelerates again after the, after the guy's dead. That really, I mean, that's more of a movie pet peeve, but yeah, I'm with you 100% there. All right. It always all right. annoys me. So the, the Metro Police, not a strong force. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. Uh, they're not even looking for, I mean, Wrath finds this, this killer very quickly. The cops uh, are completely worthless. Yep. What else you got? Uh, I have a lot of little details, by the way, so. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton, but. Should we talk about uh, Electra's email address? Meow at comsat.cat? It wasn't .cat. It was .ca, I think. No, it was .cat. 
for sure. Are you serious? I, I definitely wrote it down because I I looked up comset.cat to see what it would be. <laughs> so .cat is a Catalonian uh, uh, domain. Are you so, sure it wasn't CA? No, it was .cat. Okay. 100% sure. We never talked about how she like hacks into people's computers and like puts like cat eyes on their screen as a calling card <laughs> or something. All I can think of is it's that girl from the bus. Wait, why is it the girl from the bus? Because it's the net. She's hacking things. This is right around the time of the net. Okay, the net I've never actually seen the hack the, the net. The, 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 did Sandra Bullock hack people's computers and put cat eyes on them? She did not put cat eyes on them. I've never seen the net. I don't know what the actual movie is about. You just know that it stars the girl from the bus. Well, of course I know that. Um, everyone knows that. Um no, but the, I looked up the website, comsat.cat, and it's a website for RV alarm installation <laughs> in Catalonia. See, that is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it actually exists. All right. I so did not email meow at comsat.cat. I was you, tempted. <laughs> I was like, mm, I don't want to see if I get a response to this. All right. So you did talk a little bit about public transportation, that it's clearly Seattle because there is a monorail. I want to talk about the buses in 1995 in Seattle. It's already a very progressive city because the buses are anti-National Rifle Association. Yeah, I, I did notice that. Very, uh, very prominent in multiple yeah, shots. Yeah, that, that, this is a don- there's a number of progressive things. I, apparently, this was like a calling card of Richard Donner. I didn't re- realize that. There's a few more. I've got them noted later. Yeah, I never noticed that. It's not as noticeable in any of his other movies. Not in The Lethal Weapon. I don't remember. It's probably there, but I don't remember. Yeah, probably. But I read that it's like his calling card. But... Even even more so than that, whatever your politics are, put that aside. You have a taxi cab grinding up against a bus in Seattle. It doesn't stop at all. It just keeps driving. You've got Banderas like pinned up against it, and Stallone keeps hitting this bus. Nope, that bus is continuing on its route. Well, we keep making Seinfeld episodes. This uh, <laughs> Seinfeld references this episode, but you know, I know what you're gonna. It's say. Uh, Kramer's Batman. He's driving now. I'm driving the bus. now. I'm driving the bus. <laughs> I'm, f- I'm driving the bus on one hand, fighting the guy over Appa- the other. Apparently, buses in Seattle they are going to make their route no matter what is happening on the outside. Yeah, it's like the mailman. Neither rain nor sleet nor taxi cab crashing into it yeah. will stop it from making its rounds. All right. Uh, I don't have much else. Uh, really? Just, oh, man, I feel bad. I've got a ton. Yeah, feel free to take it away. I, all you have really left is this taxi driver is really mad at the gentlest of jostling, I wrote. Oh, just I missed that. When he steals the cab, like, Rath barely bumps into him, and the oh, guy leaps geez. out. Like, what are you doing? I just paid for this guy. Wow, he's so angry. It's like, he, there's zero mark on that fender. He, right. You wouldn't be able to see a, a no, tiniest of it, dents. It wouldn't even need to be buffed out. It, I mean, there'd be nothing. No, there'd there. be nothing. So He's so mad. All right, well, this one, I'm surprised you didn't note. I, I have a note here that it says, I'm sure Keen will try and figure out what day it is in 1995 because the Bulls are playing the Sonics. Oh, well, you're right, but I have, that, that's more in Silk Cozart territory for me. But um, Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I do have that. I only have one left, and it's oh, just a, 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 a moment that I enjoy. I enjoy it when they're in the motel, and there's the exchange about, like, Oh, Mr. Assassin, what are you going to do? Tie your tie a string to your toe and the other one to the door and so you can see when someone's coming in. He goes, door opens inwards. <laughs> that, see, that made me laugh. So That made me laugh, too, especially when he explains. She's like, no, I understand. Uh, speaking of things enjoyed, I really enjoyed uh, Banderas' Bane initial FU response. I re- when, when he's, like, typing away on it, I, I really do. I, I did enjoy. I, it, it's his delivery, I think, is what I enjoyed. To Mystery Nikolai? I don't yeah. remember. I, don't remember, I, I seriously don't remember that scene oh. at all. This movie has already gone from my brain. 
All right. Well, yeah, it's it's on the I, computer, and then he just he starts. You <laughs> okay? I can. It sounds right. That sounds like uh, right. his character. So and I also I, I I I'll try and skip some of these because I have a ton more. I noticed Pearl the cat is apparently potty trained because Pearl the cat. There's a scene. I don't know why it's in there, but the cat is trying to flush the toilet in the hotel. What? Yes. How did I not notice this? I, I don't know if I had a different cut of the movie, but absolutely. No, I just wasn't the, paying attention. The, the, the cat, I was watching. The on a cat tablet. is like jostling, trying to get the, the handle to flush on the toilet. Was it actually the cat doing it? Like yes. The trained cat? Or was it like a little paw from off screen, like no, someone holding was, a little handle? No, I think it was actually the cat, like, trained to try and flush the toilet. Wow. I have completely missed that. I mean, she's a master hacker. It would make sense. She's a master feline trainer. <laughs> Excuse me. What do you got? Keep going. Like, all right, all just right. Just rattle them off. I, I, so one of these, no, I already covered the, the passports. I, I already covered that one, mm-hmm. so I'm going to knock that one off. I, I do have an issue. Electra had doesn't know the information that she's selling. So this is almost more of a question, so I probably should have moved this. How did she set the price? I mean, why would... I know she wanted $40,000, but if you don't know what you're selling, how do you set any price? She clearly, in the end, is grossly underselling what what she's stolen. No, I think it's like... uh, What's that reality show where they open up... Uh, unused like storage lockers storage wars storage wars i think it's like storage wars where it's like we don't know what's in here if it's a mystery but you know bid on it and uh, you know maybe you'll luck out and get some valuable stuff that could be i, I think thought it's, about that i think it's just like Electra is the storage wars of this world yeah it's like i intercepted this thing i don't know what's in it i think she knows it was a government transmission so it's just like well there's probably something valuable on this so who knows who she went to like yeah. it's 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 all right it all happens before the movie starts I mean, in the end, she's selling it to the FBI or whatever, right? Isn't that like a sting? Who is it? Uh, it's Interpol. But Interpol. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So whoever she reached out to to say, I've got this information I can sell, it ended up being Interpol. So it's not like uh, the price matters anyway. They could have offered her anything. Well, yeah. I guess she could have asked for $20 million and they would have said fine just because it's a sting. Right. So, All right. So I already covered that the outlining in the bank just completely undermines the uh, the tension in the movie. So I covered that one, unfortunately. Uh, did did you happen to notice? I, I maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about the score. But you've when you've got Bane sitting up waiting, he takes a huge bite out of a massive apple, and there's this eerie like score playing. I'm like what? he's eating an apple. Is this the appropriate time for this? I didn't notice that at all. Oh, uh, all right. The score didn't jump out to me, but again, I was watching it on a tablet, so maybe it's just like out of my tinny tablet speakers. Yeah, I didn't give this movie, you know, I gave, I definitely gave this movie the short shrift, which is too bad because I picked it, but it's like the reality of it is I just couldn't watch it on my TV. Right. I wasn't in a position where I could watch it and rent it on a that's fair full size TV. We never really talked about the fact that it was not available on Amazon or anything like, no, and I rented it on YouTube and I, uh, I bought a triple pack, triple play of, Cobra, Assassins, and now I own The Specialist as well. Yeah, see, if I'd known you were going to get the Blu-ray, I would have brought that when I was out sitting. I, I could have watched the Blu-ray. Yeah, I just think I, I just was watching on a tiny screen, which I yeah. g- generally don't like doing. So, I, hey, look, I, I, I probably got it too late too. By the time you were probably already might have already been house sitting by the time I got it. Yeah. So, whatever, uh, I missed a lot. That's fine. All right, so I, I, don't, I, I don't think. Well, I missed a lot, but I'm not missing much. No, both things are true. So my last one I have, I did outline the very progressive uh, Seattle information. We have no NRA in the buses in Seattle. Cover that one. Adoption only pet shops. If you happen to notice that. I did notice that one. Uh, And this one is actually, it's not fair. It's not Seattle because apparently whether it's Mexico, Puerto Rico, wherever this bank is, 
uh, pro-choice T-shirts are worn by waitstaff down in where, wherever this is. Really? There, there, is a, there is a pro-choice T-shirt being worn. Those ladies that Bane kind of... No, no, where the... the uh, the cafe that um, oh. Electra is sitting out. One of the one of the waitstaff that comes over has a pro-choice shirt. I'm like, that is a real stretch because this is some you know. Care- I don't know what country it is, but it is not the United States. Oh, it, no matter what country it is, it's likely a very Catholic country, yes. whether it's Mexico or Puerto yeah. Rico or or uh, Colombia. Yeah, so that seems like a bit of a stretch. Huh. What did it, it just said? Pro-choice. That's pro-choice. Like, uh, there may have been some other. I, I didn't see if there was you know more below, but very big and prominently pro-choice. And especially if she's working, like what employer is going to let a waitress make such a st- strong statement to the it, customers? What are you going to risk alienating? Yeah, no one. No one would have been allowed to do that. Especially in '95. In t- today, there are I think businesses that are being like prominent one way or another, whichever side of the aisle. Oh, just catering to... Yeah, no, I, I think now companies and places are starting to wear their politics as a, a way to, believe it or not, attract customers. It just may only be, you know, customers of a certain political tilt. But okay. in 95, no. It, any kind of, you know, restaurant, they would be apolitical, 100%. I mean, that stuff, regardless of your politics, that just that stuff just takes you out of the movie. The, the NRA uh, billboard took me out of the movie just like, that's... That doesn't seem like a thing that would have been real, you know. Yeah. It just, it's like momentarily seeing like an alien on screen or something. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Hello, my baby. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's not that I have a strong opinion about the content of the billboard. It's that it just it doesn't fit in with. It's just it, it's calling attention to itself rather than being in the background. You know, right. it should just be a billboard in the background. It's it's that one in particular just really jumped out at me. I didn't notice the uh, pro-choice one. Yeah. All right, so that, that's what I had on the little details. You ready to move on to the devil's advocate? Absolutely, let's do it. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Am I introducing? So this, is seg- this is the segment where uh, we ask each other questions about the movie and try to answer them. Successfully or unsuccessfully, depending yes. on <laughs> some, the some, caliber of the question. Sometimes it gets contentious, but many times we are also successful in answering each other's questions. It doesn't, it doesn't get contentious that often. You just get too competitive with this stuff. That's probably... Uh, you probably... The number of times you go like, ah, you got me. It's like, I'm just asking a question. Okay. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the questions are tougher lead, than others. Do you want to lead off or do you want me? Uh, I'll, I'll lead off because okay. I have a lot of plot-related questions because right. a lot of it I found confusing. First things first, how do Wrath and Bane get wrapped up with this mysterious computer... Uh, uh, contractor in the first place. Like, how do they get the computer? Yeah. In, in this business, how are you taking assassination jobs from someone you don't even know and you don't know if you can trust? And it turns out to be someone that Wrath killed, <laughs> essentially. He thought he, killed, right. he thought he killed. So it's like, why Why would this be the way that assassination contracts are handed out? No. I, 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 so I'm, gonna, I'm going to agree with you. I don't have an answer. I think for 100% certain, and I'm going to go back... I've already referenced it once or twice. I'm going to go back to Heat. You definitely have a John Voight type character. Yeah. Somebody who's your handler. I mean, it's not a fence, but it's somebody that's your handler that you completely know and trust. That's you're, the only way you're taking You jobs. have to know them as, as well as anybody. Like, yeah. You have to make sure you trust them. Yeah. This They're, is the opposite. It's like, I don't even know who this is. I, right. I, and how did he get, you know, how did each of them get those, I guess, laptops? I'm not sure if they really are laptops. Um, yeah, they're laptops. Yeah. Was, how, did, how did they get these in the first place? Was there like a blind drop somewhere that they picked them up? Right. You like fill out an application and put it in the mail, and then your, <laughs> your laptop comes in four to six weeks. Apparently so. Um, yeah, it just, that, that seemed very uh, 
questionable to me. All right. Well, I've got a question. This I want to. I need to lead off with this one. Okay. Are these really the number one <laughs> and number two assassins in the world? Are you telling me? And I know there's a little timing difference. You're telling me John Wick doesn't inv- in, exist in this world. None of the John Wick competition and as john wick 2 ended it seems like the entire city of new york is just flooded with assassins none of them exist does benedict exist now you may say well he's a movie character so benedict can't exist uh francisco scaramanga the man with the golden gun does he do do, does there are no other assassins in this world well maybe see here's the thing i think here's my answer i think the actual number one assassin no one actually knows who they are this is all like, we'll let Wrath think he's number one assassin, you know, but the real, you know, this is almost like a front, like a distraction. You know what this is? Here's my answer. Remember spies like us? Yes. You know how Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd are sent in? It's like, these are the spies, but it's, it's a totally a decoy yes. to draw attention away from the real spies. That's who Wrath and Bane are. They're the decoy assassins. They're kind of the joke. They're out there bumbling around being like, we're the number one and two assassins. We're going to fight over. And then the real secret assassin, it's the John, John Wicks of the John world. Wick. Yes. He's, he is so invisible. You don't even see him. Like the, we're, we're seeing this movie from Wrath and Bane's point of view, so we don't even see the real guy. You're right. And so then you are you going to give me, meet me halfway, are you going to give me John Wick exists and he really is number one in the world? Sure. I will meet you halfway. I think that, in, in fact, the, that mob guy at the funeral was actually killed by John Wick. <laughs> he was poisoned already. But then, look who got picked up. Not John Wick. It was Bane. You're right. So because he's totally a, 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 a decoy. So yes, I'll meet you halfway. Thank you. I wanted John Wick to exist. Mainly it's because John Wick 3, is, we're not that far away, and I am super excited about that movie coming out. Yeah, I'm excited too. Although it looks like they are stealing the true lies motorcycle versus horse scene. I'm still okay with it. Sure. I'm as, sure as I think we be... discussed via text... John Wick would get his horse to make that jump from the host <laughs> trail. Yeah, that's absolutely true. All right. All right so what else you got? Uh, what else do I have? I just forgot we were doing questions. Uh, <laughs> all right. Here's, here's my question. Okay. Wrath picks up Bane in the cab. Bane doesn't know it's him. And then he, Wrath fakes <clears throat> being upset. He's like, oh, you think I'm running you up? I'm pulling over. Get out of the cab. And his plan is to wait until Bane gets out. And shoot him. And shoot him because he can't shoot him in the cab because there's the bulletproof thing. So whoever gets out of the cab first is basically dead. Wrath is totally in charge of the situation. He's driving the cab. And the only thing that, un- that causes him to be undone is that Bane threatens to shoot these kids who are nearby. But why did Wrath choose this spot to get Bane to go out near this playground it's the middle of the night like they're they're in alleyway he couldn't have found a secluded spot to deal with bane he chose the spot why did he choose that spot of all places because he is not the number one assassin in the world <laughs> okay. I mean, john wick well first of all john wick would have found a way to get through the bulletproof class Let, let's just lay that out there right now but he definitely would have had some alleyway or somewhere already staked out and scoped out that this is this is where i'm gonna i'm gonna drop this guy yeah he ha- he must have had some time to plan it out and be like, "Here's how I'm going to do it." You would also the, pro- stu- the problem is though is because the concept of the cab pickup he doesn't know where he's picking him up that that is the the challenge. But he knows he's going to the airport. That is so he should have somewhere somewhere that's relatively on the way to the airport. Yeah, that's secluded that he can. It's close to the airport. That's what he, that's what really he should have done 
is take to the airport and then, you know, like lie and say he needs to get gas or something <laughs> sure, and pull yeah. off to like the predetermined spot. That If he was truly number one in the world, that's what he would have done. The whole thing of, uh, this isn't really a question anymore, but like he's got the advantage. He's driving the car and Bane doesn't know who he is. He, yeah, you're right. I think getting out to get gas is the perfect way to do it. It's like, I got to get out for a second. And just walk next to the window and bam. Yeah, you're done. He's dead. Yeah, you can't do that because the movie's over. But Yeah, the movie is bending over backwards to set up this situation where they can't shoot each other. And yes. they're, they're basically like, neither one can get out because whoever gets out first is dead. It's like Because it's a game of chess. <laughs> exactly. In theory, it's a game of chess. Oh, Bishop takes Rook Knight. It's a powerful move. It's a t- All these chess It's analysis. a terrible move. Do you, do you actually look and see how that plays out? Uh, I do. You're you're basically predicting all of my Silk Cozart stuff, but yes, we'll we'll get to that. All right. If you have stuff too, uh, uh, feel free to jump in on that. All right. Well, here I want to know. I want to ask you the question about you. You said his name was Ketchum, which I can't. I can't believe his his name is Ketchum. I want to know if this guy knows who Robert Rath is, and Robert Rath is truly number one in the world. Why is that guy not scared of him? Because he goes out of his way to say. You know, at first I wasn't scared of you. I just looked at those ridiculous boots. If I know that this is allegedly like the John Wick of this world, I would absolutely be scared out of my mind on that walk. Yeah, here's how I interpreted that, because it, it does seem inconsistent where it's like, he didn't seem... See, the implication of that to me is that he didn't know who he was. Like, I think he knows who Wrath is by reputation, but doesn't know what he looks like. So he probably just like... Who knows how they ended up in this situation, but however Wrath got him there, it's like... I guess. He saw him on the street, and he was wearing like, these big rubber waders. It's like, why is that guy wearing those? And then it's like, oh, apparently that's Robert Wrath, and he <laughs> he's was here to kill me. me to my death. Yeah, he's going to bring me into the swamp and kill me. Well, speaking of that scene, I think there's an important question that needs to be asked. Okay. What sort of shoes will you be wearing when your time comes? <laughs> What do you think? Uh, uh, I, I'm, I think I'll be wearing some sort of brown shoe, I, I would predict. Did you hear that, kids? Brown! I know you don't know that episode. That's okay. Of The Simpsons. Uh, what kind of shoes will I be wearing? I think, I think I'm going to be wearing some sort of... It's, I guess, sort of a morbid question. But it's, it was just... Uh, the you, idea that this means you, anything. If you ask me, it doesn't mean anything. If you no. ask me today, I think I'm going to be wearing hiking boots. How, how does that sound? Okay. You're going to be geocaching. And, yeah, and, I'm going to be uh, geocaching. struck by lightning. Something, or I'm going to fall. You know, I'm going to lose my footing. I think it's going to be hiking boots. <laughs> okay. But sorry. realistically, no, I'm probably going to be an old man. It's going to be probably like slippers yeah. is probably what it's going to be. Yeah, hopefully. I had to ask the question because this movie thinks it's such a profound oh, idea. Yeah, what what sort of shoes will you be wearing, wearing Robert? Why is this a question? Like, it matters. Anyway. All right. What, what, um, give me another one. I got to remind myself what I got. All right. Well, I got one here. You right, ready? Go ahead. Yeah. Did Electra invent Big Brother, the TV show? And if so, she probably could have made way more money developing that into a TV program than what the $40,000 she was asking for for that disc. Sure. Because I, th- I think she invented Big Brother. I, I think so. I, I think, forget TV, she could have uh, broadcast it to the primitive 1995 internet. You know, it could have been like no. dark web. I mean, it would have been very low quality in 1995. The, yeah, the, I, don't, I don't think you had the, I think I was still in like AOL chat rooms in 1995. Oh, definitely. I don't, I don't think the bandwidth was there to get video like that. She would have been ahead of her time. She would have uh, been ready for the... She could have been YouTube before YouTube. All right. Okay. Let's move back to the cab stuff. There's a chase. Rath's driving the cab. The cops find out that it's them. Bane jumps out of the car 
And Wrath, the way he gets away is he pulls the cab up to a cabbie like station, like with oh. hundred cabs. Yeah, he does what. Well, I know this movie came first, but uh, Driver doesn't drive. I mean, it's not a cab, but he pulls into the parking lot at the end of uh, uh, a Clippers game. So then the police can't possibly find him in that parking garage. Yeah, but in Drive, he walks out. That's true. (laughs) My question is, why (laughs) does Rath hail a cab? A cab pulls up. It's smashed up. There's police chasing it. Rath gets out, gets in the back of another cab, says, take me out of here. Why would that cabbie take the fare? Isn't it completely patently obvious that this is the guy that the police are looking for? How does he blend in in the situation? I will say this. This concept is done much better in Drive, where he's got an L.A. Clippers hat, yeah. and he walks, walks away and makes it look like you know, he was exiting from the game. It, it does not make any sense why this cabbie would take that fare. They want it to be like the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you remember, where Mary, they're, they're carrying Marion away in a basket, yeah, all right. and Indiana Jones is chasing them. And then he comes around a corner, and there's like 100 baskets, and everyone's yep. carrying a basket. And he starts pulling them all down. Like, th- that's what they wanted it to be. But, it, but logistically speaking, he... he it's not like he's blending in with the other cabs. He got out of the cab and got in a different cab. Yeah, no, that it, cabbie's a witness. Yes. And I don't think that cabbie would take that fare. I think you're right. <laughs> okay. All right. So I want to know, does Electra, does she just always have spray paint in her purse in case there are furs sure. for her to defend? I mean, I, she must. I mean, I, I think this is going back to that theme that I had of the progressive thing. It's fine. But in this case, it makes no sense. So she constantly is carrying spray paint around with her. I guess just in case she meets a snooty lady in a fur. What was, I, 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 what I enjoyed was that. Of, I thought that was, it illustrated her character well. That, that didn't take me out of the movie at all. I it, thought that fit her character and was kind of a funny moment. I think it fit her character. I, if anything, I, lo- I, just, I would love to know that restaurant that they were at. Was it really that bad? Yeah, what's she saying? Like, I, forget. I just never make another reservation at that restaurant. And that guy, I mean, talk about just a brow-beaten, <laughs> oh, I know, he's just broken like, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> I mean, Whatever that, you say, dear. That, that guy is just defeated. I mean, those people exist by the thousands. You know, they, <laughs> know they people do. like that exist. But yeah, in some ways, I actually, I think those two were some of the characters I enjoyed the most of this movie, even though they're barely in it. Yeah. Just that guy, just so broken. They're clearly defined. They have, you know, uh, noteworthy characteristics that you can understand. Yeah, unlike it's, most characters. I mean, it's also to establish that this is like a high-end hotel. Yeah. The Chicago Bulls are staying there, so it must be pretty pretty fancy. <laughs> and I assume you figured out what day it was. But Yeah, we'll get there. All right. Uh, all right, here's a question. So Rath is, re- is playing, he's replaying a chess match that he played against Nikolai on his computer. In 1980. Soft- yes, that's my question. The computer says, game began May 5th, 1980. <laughs> Because I am certain this computer did not exist in 1980s. How does the computer know when the game started? Because it's just a recreation of the game, right? It's a recreation of the game because the game was actually, I think, played in what did they say? Oh, the obituaries, obituaries of the New York Times. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. So I do think it is. But here, I'm gonna I'm gonna dovetail from this. I'm gonna try and answer your question, and I'm gonna dovetail because something really bothers me about this. All right. Because uh, the game ends in 1980. You know, the, the, like the last move. Is sometime like May something, I think, 1980. Well, in mid game. It doesn't mid game, right. It doesn't get finished because yeah. I think you assume Robert kills yeah. Nikolai. Okay. So my answer to you is I do think that this had to just be a computer program that Robert had built 
to, I don't know, reminisce about his games against Nikolai. <laughs> he specifically programmed into the computer. It's, it's, a, it's not a general-use chess program. It's a program that is only to recreate this one specific game. That's what I think, yes. <laughs> and that's why it knows it began in 1980? Yes. All right, I'd buy that. All right, so here's what I want to know. Nikolai says the reason he effectively hired Robert to kill him, mm-hmm. he needed to disappear because the Cold War was ending. The Cold War was ending in 1980? Yeah, I noticed that too. I think that the Reagan administration and uh, people alive in the 1980s would strongly disagree that the Cold yeah. War was ending in 1980. I mean, maybe near the end of Reagan's administration, sure, oh, but like no, I, this yeah. was like evil empire period. This is the, when Reagan... The, I mean, the, 1980s, the Cold War in Russia is how Reagan effectively won the election. Yeah. I mean, so it, it totally doesn't make any sense. That's how, how many moves ahead Nikolai is, just like chess. He, he could he knows. see that Reagan was going to be able to build up the U.S. military to end the Cold War. Well, maybe he knew stuff, because I, I, I don't know if these guys are, I guess they all, it's implied they all began as like their various governments, assassins, like, I, you know, Wrath was probably a CIA assassin and Nikolai was probably a KGB assassin. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So maybe he knew stuff. Maybe he knew, like, oh, things aren't going so well. Outwardly, the Soviet Union is strong, but inwardly it is crumbling, and he saw it, he saw it coming. Maybe. All right. Maybe that's why. Okay, well, here's, here's another one I want to cover. So you get the scene on the monorail where they do the exchange. I, I like, too, that I, I do like the signal that I'm going to go and I'm going to just push on a garbage can and it's going to go back <laughs> yeah. and forth and that's how you know that it's me it's it's so not surreptitious at all it's like they're, they're just calling attention to themselves like they're standing on opposite ends of this <laughs> post and flipping the it's like if i saw two guys doing this it's like some, something's going down somebody's buying drugs <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so but here's what i want to know is if they genuinely think that they have the disc why do they have explosive why do they try and kill robert with explosives if they think they have the disc what's the point of killing him because they don't want to pay him. But they've given him the money. The money just blows up. Are you sure? I think it's probably not real money. No. I don't think they... They open it, and he sees... I mean, maybe not all of the bills, but there's definitely... There's money in there. Okay. I, it didn't make sense to me. Why would you kill Robert if you thought you had the disc? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we never talked about that scene. It's just this pointless scene where they're trying to sell the disc, and then both sides double-cross each other to the point where they're just back at square one again. So, I mean, what a pointless sequence that is. I, t- I kind of forgot that sequence happened, so I don't have an answer I, for you. I, well, I think the answer is is because they wanted to show off the monorail is actually why I think sure. that that scene's in the movie. It's nice to see the monorail. I don't th- that monorail doesn't go very far. It's almost for show, I think, more than anything. I've never been to I, Seattle, so I, I don't know. Yeah, when, when I was in Seattle, it was only for a couple of days. Didn't get a chance to ride a monorail. But I, I remember looking at it and being like, it's like six blocks long or something. It's not. It like has like four stops or something. It's like I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's not like a comprehensive citywide so you know, transit system. I so think it's, it's just, sort of like the monorail uh, in Vegas, which is not very, you know, it goes up and down one side of the strip. Yeah, I think. Yeah, kind of. I think it's just like kind of like whatever uptown to downtown or whatever. I don't know. I forget how gotcha. Seattle is organized, but yeah, it's it's not what you'd expect. All right. I mean, whatever. I don't know if the monorail is the thing you think about when you think of Seattle. We do because of the Simpsons. But yeah, that's the main <laughs> reason why. Uh, I probably got one one other good one. No, two. I got two. All right. Well, go ahead. I probably only have one more. All right. So here's what I want to know. And this is, un- this is going back, so I went out of order a little bit here. Sorry about that. That's fine. We never set that rule. All right. So I asked, does a gas line shut off once there is a fire in Seattle? 
The reason is, I would think that the fire would keep raging until the gas company could come and shut off the gas line. Robert pulls out the gas. You know, gas is spraying everywhere up in Electra's apartment. Yeah. He I, I apparently got alcohol or something, goes behind a door, lights it. There's an explosion. Bane gets blown out the window and then cut to the next scene. Or not cut to the next scene. You got Robert surveying down. Oh, is Bane still down there? To me, shouldn't that fire still be a raging inferno? Because isn't the gas still running? I don't remember the specifics anymore. Like the fire is out at that point. Yeah, it basically is just an explosion, and then there's no fire anymore. To me, I'm like, no, because the gas line would still be open, and there still would be flames because the ga- until the gas company could come and shut off the gas effectively, yeah. it would still be running, so the fire would still be there. Wrath is just standing there at the burned-out apartment looking down at the parking lot to see that Bane isn't there anymore. Well, the, the fire got into the gas line. like it, it went back through the line and blew up the whole system, and so that's what, why the gas is shut off because the whole... The entire gas system of the building has exploded. I thought you were going to say the microwaves from the radio towers extinguished <laughs> sure. the flames. So I, my, my recollection was that the building was still on fire when he looks back, but nope. maybe, maybe I'm Not misremembering. All. Not at all. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't, the, the, the force of the concussive blast put out the fire. How about that? All right. What's your last one? <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate. That's the point of the segment. I know. <laughs> you get so annoyed. I'm just doing the thing we're supposed to do. You're trying to, <laughs> but you know that's a weak one. That, that's, that was just... <laughs> you take it as like an affront. Well, like, ah, no, I'm, it's like, I'm, just, I, I think I'm obviously re- joking. I think the reason in, it, the scene annoys me is that there's no reason for Wrath to have to look from the apartment window. He could easily just go downstairs, you know, and, and look to see if Bane is still there right. with his pistol. There's no reason for that. What does he care whether Bane survived or not? Just yeah. get away. Like, yeah, as fast as you can. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. All right, what's your last one? Uh, okay, this is a very simple question. Do you think it's really Bane's birthday? Remember the part where he's like, it's my birthday today. But then he says, like, because I am going to be the number one today. Number one. To- no, I do not think at all. I think he <laughs> okay. completely lies about that. Okay. I, I liked to think that it was really his birthday. I like, I do like that, especially because he has that little wrapped up gift. That, and I like <laughs> yeah, how, yeah. how mad and when, he's, <laughs> when he realizes that it's not actually the disc in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then doesn't Rath say happy birthday? He like shoots. When he blows him up, he's like, happy birthday. Yeah, that, that's a zinger. All right, so here's the last one. I want to talk about the, the bank and the cash that he gets in that briefcase. Right. It is allegedly $18 million in cash because the bank keeps, uh, or is it 16? Do they keep 20%? I thought they kept 10%. Maybe it's 10. I, I, may, I don't remember. This is the wrong movie for me to remember details. I don't I th- remember any details. Right. Either way. It's so, already gone. All right, so here's the thing. A million dollars in $100 bills, do you know roughly how much it weighs? I had to look it up. I know it's a lot. 22 pounds. Okay. So that briefcase should be about 350 pounds. Sure. That's assuming that that briefcase is big enough. I didn't, I didn't find out like the, the geometry of how much, how, you know, bills stacked, length and width. I didn't figure that out. So I'm assuming that you could actually get $18 million, which I don't think is fair. You can't get 300 pounds of paper into a duffel bag. Yes. Yeah, no and way. then Wrath is running. I mean, he has to be the strongest man in the world. Because he is running with 350 pounds in one arm at a dead sprint. Yeah. How can you not do simple math like that? Because <laughs> movies don't care. They've never, I, I mean, I didn't think about it. So, I mean, I, I just buy it. So, they're uh, just counting on people to buy it. I well, think. I did, and there's no way it would work. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're, we're sure it's American dollars, right? They oh, specifically yeah. say? Yeah. Okay. He wants you. Because th- that's the most transportable currency. Well, apparently not. 
It's not literally not transportable. Well, that that is true. <laughs> I, I should say that it's widely accepted that you could you could go many places with that money. In should have gotten like pounds or something because it would have been half the weight. What what would be the? I don't know what what is the strongest currency. Is no, it, the pound? It, it wouldn't be the strongest, but it would have to be whatever the highest denomination of currency. That that's really what you want. You want something with a higher denomination so you can get fewer bills. Sure. Okay. That's what you'd need. And I think actually up until not that long ago. It wouldn't have existed in 95. I don't think the euro... I don't remember when the euro came into existence. Later than that, I think. I think it was later than that, like the late 90s. Yeah. But I think now up until recently, there was a 500 euro. And I think because of money laundering, they've recently done away with it. So that's what you'd need. You'd need whatever currency that you could spend in multiple locations that also has a higher denomination than a $100 bill. So whatever. Okay. So that, that's, that's the last of uh, the devil's advocate for, for us. So it's time to move on to the Silk Cozart Corner. Okay, Silk Cozart Corner. This is the segment named in honor of Silk Cozart's character in True Lies. Not True Lies, in the, in the Eraser. Yeah, it's not even the character. It's just him his starring in uh, Eraser. Yes, but it's the Memorial Corner because his character, in memoriam yes. of his character from Eraser. That, that railgun got the best of it. It did. Uh, this is a segment where I go into a deep dive into some tangential piece of trivia that I just wanted to look up on the internet. Uh, I have three this time. And it sounds like I might have guessed some. You, did, you guessed two out of the three. Um, none of these are like deep enough a dive to be interesting enough on their own, so I kind of spread it out a little bit. So first things first, let's cover the Chicago Bulls. We know that they're staying in Seattle. We can assume this movie is taking place in 1995. Yeah, I think that that's fair. It came out in October 95. Um, I have two options for 95 games. One of them's in November 95, which is cheating, because it's it's after the movie came out. But here are the two times 1995 the Bulls are playing in Seattle. February 9th, 1995, they lose to the Sonics 126-118 in overtime. And by the way, 95, uh, the 95-96 season is the year that the Bulls and the Sonics met in the NBA Finals. So oh. this was a big year for Bulls versus Sonics. Gary the Glove Payton? That's right. Well, in the, that loss, February 1995, this is the Michael Jordan comeback season, but this is pre-comeback. So Scottie Pippen nearly had a triple-double. He had 24-9-9 with five steals. But Sean Camp had 30 points on 10 of 12 shooting. Wow. Which is makes sense. He only dunked the ball. I was so. going to say he he could throw it down. Yeah. he has to be one of the greatest dunkers in NBA history. Uh, when he was in his in prime, prime, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the following season, November twenty sixth. I, I do like how though that you just your commentary is he yeah he just dunked the ball. I'm sure that's why ten for twelve. That's not shooting from the field. No, it's not. That's because he only dunks. Uh, okay, November twenty sixth, nineteen ninety five. Again, lost to the Sonics, ninety seven to ninety two. Really, wow. Michael Jordan. Only scored 22 points on 6 for 19 shooting. Luke Longley was the Bulls' second highest scorer with 21. Cool hand, Luke. (laughs) That's a bad sign when Luke Longley's your second best scorer. So uh, both losses, so it's just worth noting. It's alone in the movie says, oh, they're a good team. Apparently not good enough. Well, they were so distracted with what was going on in the hotel. That's true. They heard about the Yeah, I was about to say they heard about the monorail, but no, it's actually in the hotel. Yeah, it's gunfire. People are being killed in the hotel. Well, you got people being killed in the hotel. That poor Marriott maintenance manager has the banana stolen right off his desk. (laughs) That's true. I mean, you want to talk (laughs) about a low... I'll I'll take this. Yeah, that was a low blow from Robert Rath. Some guy who's there just working. He's got a little snack there. 
Just steals it right from under him. That that's actually a cheap shot. I didn't highlight it, but that's a cheap shot by Robert Rath. Well, you know, he probably lost his job when the hotel found out somebody <laughs> somebody snuck into the office and looked up the bulls. He knew uh, where the rooms. bulls were staying. Rooms were staying. Yeah, this right? is an important guess that they're they're not up on their security. All right, so Cozart number two. There's this moment in this movie when they're escaping from the the uh, monorail sequence where Julianne Moore reveals that oh the disc that they gave. The bad guys yeah, it was, it was not the fraud. real disc. Yeah. And she goes, they got bupkis, zero, zilch, zot, nix, not a dry hump, squirt, diddly squat. And my note was, well, the screenwriters have a slang thesaurus. And then I remembered, I have a slang thesaurus. So <laughs> let's look up zilch. I know there's why an you, entry. Why do you have a slang thesaurus? Because, uh, you know, I, I, am, I like to pretend to be a novelist sometimes. Okay. And it's here as a resource for that. So I looked up zilch. I didn't read these ahead of time. I'm going to skip over the filthiest ones because uh, I know there's a couple. <laughs> you don't want to find yourself too many uh, credits for the verbal morality statute? There's going to be some, but I just don't want to have to bleep a lot. That's, that's more work than the verbal morality statute. Okay. okay here's every, every thesaurus synonym for zilch in the American thesaurus, the thesaurus of American slang by what Robert year? L. Chapman. Doesn't have a year. Okay. I'm sure it's. I could look up. I could find it, but whatever. It's not that important. All right. All right. Synonyms for zilch: beans, Billy be damned, bupkis, a bucket of warm spit, bugger all, chopped liver, a damn, diddly, diddly damn, diddly poo, diddly poop, diddly shit, diddly squat, diddly squirt, diddly whoop, dink, doodle shit, doodly, doodly shit, doodly squat, dry spit on a hot day, a duck egg, a fart, a fig. A goose egg, a hill of beans, a hoot, a hooter, a hoot in hell. Jack shit, not a nix, nit, nix. One red cent, one thin dime, a plugged nickel. Poo, poop, rap, a rat's ass, a red cent, a row of pins, shit, a shit, shit all spit. Squat, squirt. Sweet Fanny Adams. (laughs) I love that one. A thin dime, two hoots of hell, two whoops in hell, a whoop, zero, zip, zippo, zot, zots. Can we find a way to get to get a soundboard for Sweet Fanny Adams? I can put it on the soundboard. I'm sure we got a clean recording of it of me saying that. Oh man, <laughs> sweet! I think some of these are. It's, this is called the Thesaurus oh, you of American what? slang. Which some of those are British. There's no way "bugger all" is American slang. All I can think of now is "sweet sassy molassy." <laughs> um. So anyway, there's that. Uh, and then finally, let's dig into the chess game. Are we going to talk about war games and a nice game of chess and global thermonuclear war? Uh, I wasn't planning on it. Okay. If you wanted, no, add, no. feel free to add anything because it sounded like you had uh, looked up some of this chess stuff. No, I didn't. I can just tell you that that move that is such a smart move by Bane, it's incredibly foolish. It takes the, the knight, but the bishop is totally unprotected. It's check. The king can just take the bishop it's interesting you say that and we're going to get to that in a second i would have agreed with you looking at that i would have done the exact same thing i would have just taken the bishop with my with okay. the king but we'll, we'll get to it all right so, so then maybe i'm not a good chess player well we'll get to it all right i don't, don't think it's that you're not a good chess player it's that like the great chess players like know a million different openings and things and yeah so that's what i want to get into is i i first of all i wanted to see is this a plausible chess game and it actually is and I went. I found all of the different openings and like the various strengths and weaknesses. So first things first, uh, Rat opens with the king's pawn opening. I I pull up some notes from chess.com. It says uh, perhaps the oldest first move in the modern version of chess. This is the most aggressive and most attacking first move. It immediately claims the center and frees up the king and the bishop. 
And then we've got the King's Knight variation. He pulls out his knight. And then I learned that this opening is called the, I think it's Re Lopez opening. R-U-Y. Okay. I guess it's a name. Yeah. I don't know if it's Re or Rye, but I'll say Re Lopez opening. Also called the Spanish game. The Re Lopez is one of the most popular openings in chess. Okay, pros. Leads to very complex and multifaceted play. Tends to give white long-term pressure. White develops rapidly and castles quickly. Cons, some lines are very theoretical. I don't know what some of this stuff means. Uh, Black has a huge number of defenses to choose from, and sometimes black uh, gets a chance to attack the bishop. All right, so from this point forward, the site I was looking at gave like percentages of wins. Gotcha. How often does white win? How often does black win? How often does it draw? And as of this moment, 37.6% for Wrath to win, 37.2% 37.2% to draw, only 25% to lose. Then Nikolai uses an open Morphe defense. I like the names. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've i never learned chess enough to know like openings oh, and things, yeah, but like, nope. it's interesting that like this specific game has like a bunch of different names. We're, we're not, we'll get to some more. There's like a couple things. So, okay. So basically there's a situation where like Wrath is sacrificing pawns in order to like open up the game, I guess. I feel like some of this stuff could have been used in the plot. I'll get to that at the end. So, okay. Then uh, Nikolai uses the Tarash defense. My notes are not good enough because like, I didn't understand what half this stuff meant. And <laughs> I'm struggling to like explain what... The th- I learned a lot of interesting things, but I'm at a loss to like, Is this explain like a Yahoo, them. Yahoo Serious Film Festival? You know what all the words mean, but yeah. it doesn't make any sense? I don't even know what the words mean because then Wrath uses the Riga variation of the Rio Lopez opening. Basically, he like sacrifices his queen's pawn and lets black take it. And then here's the commentary on this move from chess.com from like somebody uh, named Grandmaster Adam. Okay. I assume he's Grandmaster in chess, not like Grandmaster, Grandmaster Flash. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he says, maybe playable against 1400s. I guess that's like our chess rank. But honestly, there's, there's going to be some really prepared players in all Re Lopez continuations. So why play a somewhat questionable parenthesis? In my opinion, the Riga is just terrible. Opening, then a completely playable and perhaps better Re Lopez variation. Again, I don't recommend Re Lopez unless you know theory like the back of your hand. Okay. Uh, so yeah, very snarky comments from Grandmaster Adam about the Re Lopez opening. Take that, Robert Rath. I've got some more moves. I'll skip them. And then moving to that move that you said was terrible. Bishop to A2. Bishop takes Rook's pawn. Yeah, Check. That, that is, I think, Bane's move, right? That's, that's uh, what's well, nuts? Nikolai. Okay, oh, yeah, right. Bane does it. Here's what Nikolai would have done next. Yeah, that, that's what I think. So I think it's Bane's move. Well, here's, here's the thing that I think is interesting. At that point, according to chess.com, Wrath would win 29.6% of the time. Nikolai slash Bane would win 24% of the time. It's 46.4% chance for it to be a draw. Really? Uh, according to the statistics, okay. I think it's like a, it's pulling from like a database of like all games that I've ever had been in the situation. Yeah. But here's the thing. If Wrath takes that bishop, 100% of games where that occurred ended in a draw, according to chess.com's database. 100%. <laughs> and I kind of saw, I kind of played it out, and I saw like basically what happens if, if you take that bishop. Yeah. The entire board is wide open, then black moves the queen out, and then it's just like... Chase. It's just check, 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 constantly like... Check, 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 check. <laughs> all day, Still. check, check. He tricked me. Um, <laughs> That's Nikolai, too. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, oh, imagine John Malkovich playing oh. that guy. 
Oh, that would have been great. Recording rounders. Yes. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's like every there's there's no way for White to not be in check ever. So it's like Queen puts White in check. White moves as king. Queen moves here. Check. And it just goes back and forth until it's a draw. Okay. So it's actually apparently not the thing to do is to take the bishop, even though the bishop is totally un- undefended. White is in, has an advantage here, and if you do that, you're basically guaranteeing a draw. So I think that would have been an interesting thing to play out. build into the plot to have it explained. I mean, not that I think the screenwriters maybe even understood this, or who knows who planned out the chess game in, in the movie, yeah. but like in theory, what's actually happening in the game is Bane is trying to bait, bait trying to, into a draw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Trying to bait him out, yeah. bait out his king, like just like he's trying to bait out wrath right there's actually a metaphor here that could have been used but they chose not to do it (laughs) no that that actually would be interesting to have that chess backdrop if you knew the problem is you'd have to explain you'd have to explain somewhat of what you just explained to the audience because i wouldn't know that and most people wouldn't but it would be a pretty clever it would be clever for the people the five percent of the population that knew it it would be pretty clever they could explain it in a general way of just like wrath being like he's trying to bait out my king just like he's trying to bait me i'm not going to take the bait I the, re- the right move to do is to move the king straight in front of the bishop, like in the corner. Gotcha. And th- in that situation, white wins 70% of the time. Oh, that's a pretty weak move then. No, it's a powerful move, like he says. Number one. But I think, I think essentially my sense is from reading all this stuff is that only you would only do that if you think the guy that you're playing against – isn't like a great chess player. Like, like obviously, we would have fallen for this. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I would have done the exact same thing if I was playing this. Oh, this bishop is totally undefended. I'm just going to yeah. take it with my king. Yeah, so I would have fallen for it too. So it's like, you could say like, oh, this is a, it's essentially a condescending move for Black to be like, I'm just going to do this because I know you're a sucker and you're going to fall for this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Come on, chump. Build it into the story. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I dug into all kinds of chess openings. I, I didn't read half of what I pulled up because... Honestly, I would have been droning on about things I don't understand <laughs> at all. So that could be dangerous. All right, all so right. Now it's time for why we're here. Okay, the body count. This movie we only killed forty-eight people compared to the last one where we killed one hundred and nineteen. This is the segment where we compare Arnold Schwarzenegger's body count to Sylvester Stallone's. Arnold Schwarzenegger had an average body count of fourteen point seven six per movie. At what point do you start playing Free Fallen by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? <laughs> I can find it if you want. <laughs> I mean, it's just off a cliff. I mean, in a movie titled Assassins. Yes. <laughs> he barely assassinates anybody. Well, you're giving him that it's suicide, so if I can I'm going to give him that one. Because, I mean, in reality, that's because if the guy doesn't do it, Wrath is going to take him out. So I, I'm going to give that to Stallone. Okay. Well, here's the other question. Are you going to give Nikolai to Stallone? Because I gave, I gave that to, uh, to Bane also. Bane oh, shoots yeah. first. No, you, I, I won't even say because he shoots first. I didn't, I didn't cover this. I probably should have because I had it in my either little details or questions. Nikolai has a bulletproof vest on. A bunch of those shots go into the vest. There's a few that go into his legs and arms. I, I actually am not sure Nikolai would have died if Bane wouldn't have, uh, whatever he says, like, better make sure or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely gave that one to Bane. That's a good point. Yeah, so it's the first and last shot. So yes. based on that alone. Absolutely. Okay, because, yeah, I, I gave that one to Bane. So if, if I'm going to do so a quick uh, calculation because I had one because really the only person he killed definitively, Stallone, I mean, uh, is, is Bane. Is Bane is, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, he kills Antonio Banderas. Yeah, which uh, we've covered, but it's just that that's actually a bummer. I one, I yeah. he's the more likable of the two and he's more charismatic. Okay, I wouldn't I say, say likable. Okay, that's fine. The more intre- how about <laughs> he the threatens more- to kill children, he kills like six cops. <laughs> how about the more interesting of the two? Oh, that's entirely true. Yeah. I think I saw somewhere that Richard Donner said if he could make this movie over again, he would have swapped the roles and made uh, Antonio Banderas the the lead. And probably still would have kept some of that charisma. As yeah, that's the thing is I think I think Banderas was was bringing it, not necessarily just the the writing of the character. Yeah, and you know that's Stallone's strength is he's frequently like the rock at the center of the movie. He's, he's never going to be the standout like. Yeah. He's always doing a solid job while other people upstage him, basically. You know, it's like James Woods in Specialist. It's like... Just it's, chewing it up. It's not, it's not Stallone's job ever to be the flamboyant, like, noticeable character. He's always going to be the understated. Like, that's always his job in every movie. So yeah. uh, you can't fault him for it. But, yeah, once again, he's being upstaged. All right, anyway, so now we've got two in this movie. So total of 227 total across 23 movies. For an average of 9.87. Oh, man. So we are officially in single digits. It is not good. Uh, and I think I had 19 total in the movie. I like to keep track of the movies, too. Yeah, 19 total. 19 total. 17 by Antonio Banderas and one suicide. But I guess instead of it's 17 and two, I guess we're calling it. A coerced suicide, so. I, I'll allow it, but I think generally speaking, the rules. I like your idea that I'm just going to try and trick this guy and see what happens. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Check I mean, Antonio Banderas in the end. I, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Make sure he's dead. Wrath is not smart <laughs> enough to do that's that. That's the reason Wrath really is just a fake number one. You're right. Somewhere out lurking is the real number one, John Wick. That's who killed the guy at the beginning also in the swamp. It was John Wick <laughs> with a sniper rifle. That guy was ready. The, you know, uh, 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 Ketchum was ready to spin and, ch- and shoot Wrath, and John Wick saved him. I think that's definitely what I happened. I think you're right. Uh, we've cracked it. All right. This is John Wick Zero. This is the secret origin <laughs> the origi- story. Yes. Of the John prequel Wick. to the John Wick movies. Uh, okay, so yeah, 9.83. I, I picked this specifically because I thought, let's I pick something. This movie's called Assassins. I, I seem to remember there being a lot of action sequences. I thought for sure. Well, he barely, he barely uh, free, gets on the board. In this. Free falling, man, I'm telling you. All right, well, eventually, I, like I said, I think, I think Stallone has made a lot more movies, so... Yeah. Hopefully that'll be a horse race, just total bodies. We'll see. I don't know. Move on to the Wrecking Crew yep. Award. Explosion! This one was pretty easy for me, I don't know about you. I think we're going to agree on this. No, this is Antonio Banderas. Anto- Antonio Banderas. Easily. He's given the best performance. He's obviously... You know, wrecking mode shop. He's he's <laughs> killing all sorts of people. Yeah, um, yeah, and and he's the better character, like yeah. all around. You know, I, I'm sure some of that is Banderas, and some of it was on the page. But just like, yeah, he's he's winning every it, category. Yeah, it's not even close. And I, just of all the characters too, because you're right. I think that a lot of Stallone's job in this movie and others is to be the understated kind of glue. Yeah. But Banderas is not just between the two of them. It's not even close that there there aren't a lot of other characters in this movie. But there's nobody that's even half as interesting as Banderas. Yeah, so. you're right. I mean, there's basically four characters in this whole movie, yeah. <laughs> and one of them appears in the last two minutes of the movie. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's not a lot of options. Nope. All right. All right. So time for the Rocky ratings. All right. Hey, hey, what the hell are you doing? 
punching car accident victims. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad mouthing my film. So this is the segment where we uh, rate the movie uh, based on uh, Rocky opponents, uh, Spider Rico on a scale, Spider Rico to Apollo Creed. Yep. Uh, this one was actually kind of tough for me. I went back and forth and thought about this for a little while. It's tough. I mean, talking about it, talking about it was tough also because yeah. it's like I, I I'm glad that I wrote down my rating shortly after I watched this movie because honestly, at this point. It's just so vague. Everything is so vague in my mind. In two it's weeks, bland. I won't remember a thing about this movie no, anymore. It's bland. And that, I, so for me, that's the reason I went with it's a, a Mason Dixon for me. It's I, just a movie that exists. I agree. I also gave it a Mason Dixon. Oh, wow. One of our rare agreements. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have agree. not had a lot that agree on this. We agree that this movie <laughs> was bland and uh, uh, unmemorable. Um, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I don't think we disagree that much this episode. It's just no. there's, there's so little. It was disappointing. I, I, in particular, on the Wrecking Crew, I thought there was going to be a lot more in this movie. A movie about assassins. Yeah, yeah. You, John Wick is a good comparison. I'm glad you brought up John Wick because it's exactly that's what you want. Yes, <laughs> you want a movie like I mean, John Wick and no, not like this. In particular, I think you want you want Common and Keanu Reeves in John Wick Two. That's what you actually want. That kind of like 100%. They're on equal footing and at any point in time you're not sure who who's going to I mean in that you do know it's going to be John Wick. But the, point <laughs> the movie that, is called John Wick. Yeah, it's called John whoever Wick. So it's un, is. right. It is unfair. But Common <laughs> is a pretty good adversary and there's multiple actually good adversaries. That's what you want. Yeah, John uh, Wick 2 is what you wanted out of this movie. That moment where they spot each other at that party and it's like you working? It's like yeah, you working. <laughs> so you, you know what's coming. Yeah. Uh, that's what you wanted. Yeah, and I think the fact that those characters know each other at the start, you know, th- this whole movie and the fact that uh, Bane and Wrath don't know each other and have to, like, have that whole little 30-minute sequence at the beginning to establish their relationship, it's like, just have them know each other at the beginning. It's actually kind of weird, uh, now that I think about it. We never really talked about the fact that Bane weirdly idolizes Wrath briefly. He's like, oh my goodness, you are brought up Wrath. Yeah, and I, I use the same person. I, I use the same gun as you, and I heard to use this gun. But then immediately he's disappointed. He's like, oh, actually, you suck. You're <laughs> antiquado. Uh, so, like, I don't know. Like, what's the point? It's, again, it's one of these things where it's like, it's a thing that happens and then is undone immediately. Yep. Like the exchange at the monorail, it didn't need to happen because at the end of the scene, the movie is in the exact same state it was before the scene started. It's the same thing with Bane and Wrath's relationship. It's just like, you know, it might have been an interesting twist to have Bane be like, I admire you so much and that's why I must kill you. You know, like that's there's dimension to that. But instead it's like, oh, I admire you a lot. Actually, I don't. <laughs> it's like, why did you do it in the first place, movie? <laughs> why did you set it up and then just abandon it? Why did I have the bowl, Bart? Why did I have the bowl? <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. So you, you ready, uh, ready to talk about the next one? It's my pick. It is your pick. Please pick something <laughs> because I, I, I feel bad. I, I do this a lot, but it's like, you know, we, we've watched a lot of bad movies this season, but I feel like this is the episode that has just been the toughest. It's just... Pinning Jello to a wall. So I, I hope you have something. Okay, <laughs> we're, so I, we're really backing ourselves into a corner in terms of the categories. So I'm we, interested. We are backed into a corner, and uh, I really wanted to continue with the theme that um, I think maybe you kind of started this season of the the threads that we've had and connections. You had things like uh, the Kurt Russell connection and Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Uh, so what I really and want Batista too. Don't forget. Uh, uh, yes, uh, and it's escape plan too. Yeah. So sorry. 
Uh, How quickly we forget? Uh, well, we want to forget, right? Yeah. Uh, so I wanted desperately, but uh, to, to continue in that, and so you probably can guess where I wanted to go, which was the Antonio Banderas uh, Stallone connection in Robert Rodriguez's Spy Kids 3D. Yes. Game uh, over. Game Don't over. The game over. Part. I know. I know. I need the colon and game over. <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, that category has been blocked out by said Guardians of the Galaxy because yes. uh, it is under the silly Stallone. So could not continue with that. A little bit bummed. So we're, we're nothing of that stickler for our own arbitrary rules. Hey, they, are, <laughs> they are arbitrary, but we need some sort of roadmap. Okay? Sure. Uh, so I decided um, I'm just going to pick from the, you know, the randomness of the categories that are left. I decided to go with... The new uh, new Brando category, and I just picked what was in there, and I know nothing about this movie. It was on the list. We're doing it. Nighthawks. Okay, Nighthawks. I've never seen it uh, either, so we'll see how Nighthawks is. Yeah, this is definitely one that um, if we weren't doing this podcast, I don't think I would have even known that that movie existed. Really, I had heard of it, and okay. I think it, it has a little bit of a cult following, oh, Nighthawks, as okay. far as uh, I think people think it's... I think based on the fact that it's somewhat obscure, I think that it's one of those movies that are just like, oh, people, more people should know about Nighthawks. I can, but I can I, see that for just for kind of when it came out of, you know, before whole movie, you know, really kind of took off. Yeah, that's it 82, can, right? Uh, I think 81. 81? Yeah, okay. 81. So, you know, kind of right before that window, and that could be, you know, one of those movies that people would, you know, say that about, that it, Missed it in theaters, but didn't have that kind of home video window necessarily for yeah. it. And this is, as you said, in the new Brando category, named that because uh, Roger, Roger Ebert, in the wake of Rocky One, dubbed Sylvester Stallone the new Marlon Brando. So this was in a period in his career where he was still trying to be like a character actor. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what yeah. this movie is. Same here. So that's the show. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, please um, like us on your podcast app of choice. Write a favorable review. I'm not sure it'll be for this episode, but maybe some of our others. Uh, yeah, and it, let us know what you think at Arms Rate Podcast on Twitter. Sorry that uh, it's it's. I I won't speak for myself, but I just don't know how to talk about a movie like this. <laughs> just nothing. This is the toughest. Uh, the middle of the road stuff is the toughest it thing to is. talk about. We, we've said it in the early days on the Arnold when we were covering Arnold. The ones that are just unmemorable right down the fairway just in a movie that exists is hard. You need something really bad or really good to really get a good conversation. Yeah. But if you do like the show in general, yeah. not generally, not just this episode, you know, tell folks, don't point them to this episode. <laughs> this whole season has been us being so self-deprecating. This whole season has just been the movies beating us down to the point where we're blaming ourselves for this low-quality movie. For a, a me- mediocre the, movie. The entire season? Most of it. And you're probably right. <laughs> we shouldn't blame ourselves because these movies are bad. <laughs> we just happens. This is this is not a judgment on us. You wow. know what? This episode is good. I'm going to say it. Here's what I'm we gonna, did our job. We covered this movie. Here's what I'm going to say. We're working our way to Rocky Four. That is true. We're still a ways we're, off. Don't don't get my. We're not that far away. There's four movie, four episodes between here and there. That's I know a lot, but just keep. I mean, how fun! Talk <laughs> about a way to end a season. Rocky Four. This season is the mountain that Rocky climbs, and we have to keep climbing that mountain. <laughs> That's so, the best analogy in the world. One day we'll be at the top of the mountain, but we're not there yet. Are we both going to have beards? I can't grow a beard. I, I, you can, obviously. I've been growing my beard out, not necessarily in honor of Rocky Four, but I but think maybe you. I, I think I'm not going to trim my beard until we cover Rocky Four. How about that? <laughs> 
that's my pledge to you and to the, that to the would listeners. Be hilarious. Yeah. So right now we're not we're not at the top of the mountain. We're we're at the point in Rocky Four where Rocky helps that guy slay. The sleigh falls over and he helps him. <laughs> that's where we are now. There's a lot of manual labor of us getting through these movies while the KGB follows us. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll outrun the KGB. The KGB is like the specter of all these bad movies. Is, I'm just gonna push this analogy as far as it'll go. Is Nikolai one of those KGB officers? <laughs> I guess so. He could have been. The timeline. Oh no, it wouldn't have worked out because. That's 85. Nikolai would have been dead <laughs> by then. Nikolai thought the Cold War was over. Little did he know that Rocky Balboa was actually going to end it. That's true. <laughs> he saw when Rocky won the title. That's how he knew. That's, that's like that guy in uh, whatever. That's that, that day I knew that the wall would fall. Yeah, Nikolai saw when Rocky beat Apollo. Might get, <laughs> might get I can't re- I can't because uh, now I want to go and watch that guy explaining in Balboa <laughs> the Cold War. It is. He's he's Nikolai. Nikolai yeah. realized it. Nikolai knew that Rocky Balboa was an American hero and that he would one day in the Cold War, and so he said, "I better kill. I better uh, have yeah. a guy who looks remarkably like Rocky kill me so that I can disappear." <laughs> All right, we'll be back with Nighthawks. Hawks. <laughs>